Why? Everybody wants to know why. You know what? Because this one is about me, JR. It's not about China or anybody else. It's about four weeks from now. It's about 28 days from now. It's about me getting what I want out of this business, and that is becoming the WWF champion. So you're saying that in four weeks at SummerSlam, you will become the WWF champion without China's help. You're right. I don't need anybody else, JR. This is about me. I don't need to be in a clique anymore. I don't need to be in DX anymore. This is about me. It's about me reaching my goals. You know, and while we're at it, this goes back a long way, JR. This goes back to the clique. This goes back to Madison Square Garden. Me walking in the ring and saying goodbye to my friends. That's four years ago. You're damn right it's four years ago, and every day it's eating a hole in my stomach, JR. Every single day. Watch your language a little. What, you, you want me to shoot with this interview? I'm going to shoot with it. I'm going to tell you how I feel, whether you like it or not. It's about four years ago, Madison Square Garden, I walked to the ring to say goodbye to my friends, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Shawn Michaels. Who got punished for that, JR? Me. I did. You know why? Because you didn't have the Nobody in the office had that to do it to anybody else. They did it to me. Why? Because I was the easy one. I was the one that would take it. Good old Triple H, he'll rise to the occasion later on. Don't worry about it. He'll come through. We can take care of that now, punish him, get rid of that. He'll come back later. Well, you know what? That makes me sick in my stomach. Every time I look at you guys, it makes me sick to think what you did to me, holding me back. You guys talk about being students of the game. I am the game, JR. There is nobody that eats, sleeps, or breathes this business more than me. And now it's my time to prove that to the world. SummerSlam is my time to take what is mine, and that is becoming the WWF champion. You know, Hunter, SummerSlam's uh, about a lot more than just you. It's about the WWF title. It's about Jesse Ventura officiating that matchup. To hell with Jesse Ventura. To hell with The Rock. To hell with Austin. To hell with The Undertaker. I own all their asses. Jesse Ventura, I could care less. You want to promote SummerSlam around him? Go right ahead. But when it's said and done, SummerSlam is about me. It's about nobody else. It's about me. It's about me getting what I deserve in this business, and that is what I want, and that is becoming the WWF champion. Hello and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to July of 1999 for the WWF portion of this show. We have gone already back in the time to ECW's Heatwave pay-per-view review and WCW's Bash at the Beach extravaganza, but we're here to talk fully loaded the end of an era. I am your host, Dan Welling, just for this occasion. Apologies for the delay in getting this out uh, to everyone who's listening listen to this in real time. Um, but yeah, hopefully we can get a good show on the road, uh, even though it's a little bit delayed. I am joined this month by, as always, the sheriff of wrestling 20 years ago, Roy McNamara. Roy, how are you? Always in town. I'm very well, Dan. Excellent stuff. And making his long-awaited return to the podcast, it's uh, Mr. Adam Joyce. How are you? Yeah, yeah, it has been a while. Um, I mean, I was supposed to be on the last two WCW ones, but um, scheduling conflicts sort of got in the way. Weirdly enough, uh, the email where we decided that it wasn't going to work out was both times I was watching the pay-per-view in the background. Both times it was <laughs> both of us 
it's almost as if Lady Kingdom just snuck up on me and said, no, you don't want to watch this. And boy, was she wrong. <laughs> well, hopefully WWF have got you a good show this month uh, to review. And we will kick us straight off into the news headlines. Fire away. Vince McMahon is gone forever. 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 Forever, 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 as Terry Funk would say. And indeed, in this sort of situation, he would know. Yes, Vince McMahon is off our TV screens until the end of time. Mm -hmm. After Steve Austin defeated The Undertaker in a first blood match in the main event of the fully loaded pay-per-view, bringing the era to an end. The main stipulation being if Austin defeated Undertaker, Vince McMahon would never be seen again. He turned up on the Raw straight afterwards, but I think I won't let that one slide. Supposedly, and I'll leave everybody to draw their own conclusions on this one, Vince McMahon has been telling people backstage that he really will be taking a break from appearing on Raw and pay-per-views. But of course, the key phrase there is taking a break. Do you really think he'll disappear? I think we should make the most of it in as much as we can. Uh, very much a hot angle and an extremely dramatic match for what it was. We will talk about it when we get to the pay-per-view review a bit later on, uh, the other big events on, or big occurrence on that event, was uh, Triple H defeating The Rock in a strap match to become the number one contender, where he will face Steve Austin for the title at SummerSlam. And speaking of which... The body wants what the body wants. Uh, yes, here's one for you. Straight out of left field, right field, maybe even center field. Nine years ago, Jesse Ventura left the World Wrestling Federation. Depending on who you speak to, it was something to do with either videotype royalties, something to do with Vince McMahon not letting Jesse's, license, uh, Jesse's um, likeness being used as part of a Sega Genesis slash Mega Drive video game, or if you speak to Jesse, it was both of those. But he is returning to the World Wrestling Federation. Yes, pigs flying, ravens leading the tower, and all of that, where he will officiate the main event scheduled to be between Steve Austin and Triple H. Coincidentally, or perhaps not, SummerSlam is taking place in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where he just happens to be the governor. Of course, the big question is just how much money will Jesse Ventura be making from this particular venture and how much of it will be going to charity. In interviews and press conferences, he has told us some money will be going to charity. Well, that's all right then. The actual figure being lumbered around at the moment is anything between one to two million dollars more or not i'm sure as we get it before SummerSlam, we should be making one appearance on raw currently scheduled to be on august the 9th but yes the body back in the wwf monday night jericho yes we will talk about this one a bit more very very shortly but chris jericho has officially it seems like it's taken us a long time to get there, but officially signed terms with the World Wrestling Federation, put pen to paper at the start of this month. It looks like he will, as we rumoured in the WCW portion of our shows a couple of months ago, actually be signing for less than he could have been offered and accepted in Atlanta. $350,000 downside guarantee is what we're hearing at the moment on a three-year deal. It does look as though he will be given a particularly prominent role maybe feuding with some of the big boys straight out of the gate although they're not all entirely happily happy with that fact we'll tell you more very very shortly but chris jericho officially federation bound rena merrow lawsuit settled out of court 
Yes, you, you might remember our main news story last month was talking about the $110 million lawsuit filed by Rina Mero against the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, off air, we spoke to our own resident expert on these matters, Mr. Eric Landstrom, who said to us he didn't think this one was going to fly very far. And as he is so often in these matters, he was entirely correct. It's been settled out of court. We don't know the figure yet. What we do know is that Sable can no longer use that particular name in any other form of employment. And Vince McMahon has been going around telling everybody that it, quote unquote, went well. So draw your own conclusions there. New weekly programming confirmed. Uh, yes, we are finally getting a shot of Shotgun Saturday Night. I can't remember the last time I ever saw that myself. It's being replaced by two new programs by the name of WWF Metal and WWF Jacked. But uh, the big news is SmackDown, which you might recall we reviewed the pilot of back in April, will be going live on UPN from the end of August. And of course, next month, we'll bring you all the big news from there. I just want to give you some quotes from the UPN president, Mr. Dean Ballantyne. Yes, UPN have a president. And this is what he has said. I am sure he was not put up to these words one way or any other. <laughs> the WWF, though we're rating it TV 14, is an incredibly mild form of entertainment. There is not any Rocky movie that isn't more violent than any WWF show. I'd be hard-pressed to really think about the fact that showing occasional blood is a danger to the Republic. And yes, the quote here does say Republic. I don't think it's schlock. If you really look at the statistics, demographically, wrestling has gone much more mainstream and gone much more upscale, if that makes any sense. I think there's a disconnect between what most people over 20 or 25 think of wrestling and what your children and their children really see in it. You have to look. There's nobody getting knifed on the WWF. There's no guns going off. Not anymore. There's none of the real causes of crime in this country that are part of that franchise. I think it's unfair of anybody to insinuate that. There are so many different shows and so many different movies and so many social problems that really do contribute to violence in this country. Then he was asked about the WWF's sexist content and the Godfather specifically. I'm not exactly sure why that's sexist. I do believe we've seen that character on a number of other entertainment shows as well. Hey guys, it's a comedy. Lighten up. The only thing, the only thing missing from the end of that was a pal, I think. Yeah, so UPN are happy. <laughs> I'm sure Vince McMahon is happy. Smackdown going live, end of August. We will bring you all the news from the first Smackdown when we get there. Just want to polish off the ratings for July. Uh, you know who won week by week, but here we go. 6.2 against the 3.3 on the 5th. Uh, Dead 6 against the 3.5 on the 12th, a 6.3 against the 3.3 on the 19th, and finishing up out of the pay-per-view with a 7.1 against the 3.4. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, is there any specific topic that we covered there that anyone wants to deep dive in? I think we definitely need to discuss Jericho on this one. I feel ever since ooh, December last year, Jericho has wormed his way into every single new section we've had on World Championship Wrestling. And now he has finally, finally taken the plunge. It looks like he decided to let his contract run down from the middle of May, is the way we worked this out, and his 90 days kicked in. Yeah, actually conflicting reports on this one, despite what I might have said have been used. The suggestion is that he will be going against top stars straight away. But uh, some of the other creative teams say he should be working his way up. Apparently his first feud... If Vince agrees with this, it's going to be with Road Dog. That's probably starting a bit low, but I'm just glad he's here. He's been stagnating ever since the Goldberg feud, but never was, in my opinion. And I can't wait to see what they do with him. 
Mr. Joyce, anything to add on that? I'm just looking at my notes for Jericho here. Do you realise the last time he was on TV was the 5th of April? Wow. It was a four-minute match with Booker T defeating him by disqualification in the US title tournament series. Oh, I'm ashamed to say I'll remember that match. Okay. 5th of April, Jesus. I mean, you know, if, if that's the sort of amount of effort WCW prepared to put into promoting him, I can, I can see why he left. I mean, from what I remember, from what I've watched at WCW this year, which admittedly isn't as much as it was last year. Thanks, Rory. Um, hey. You're not missing out on much, though, in fairness. You're really not. From what, I've, from what I remember watching of it this year, it really has just been mostly trying to embarrass Chris Jericho um, considering the last positive thing we saw him do on WCW would get a decent match out of Conan which to be fair is saying something um, but yeah it's just been kind of downhill for him since then so I, I can see why, why he's happy to leave and I mean in wrestling there is the tradition of you know you beat the guy out the door they certainly weren't making any attempts to keep him and even if he had decided to stay you know he'd have quite a long way to sort of go back I mean granted Jericho does have the sort of personality where he could bounce back in that situation but if if WCW was showing him that that amount of disrespect the fact that he's been under contract now for nearly four months without a TV appearance they, they obviously looking for him if if he's going up against the road dog he's not the highest level of, of feud he could start off with but at least we can guarantee that so the promo time will be interesting even if the matches uh, could be hit or miss it wasn't long ago that he was being mentioned as a potential mvp and now he's not even been on tv for four months so that just shows you what his current well his previous employer now thought of him um there's a lot of you know a lot of upsell with this guy. I mean he's he's marketable. He's got the he's got the in ring ability, which certainly won't, in the WWF he's got the in ring ability compared to the majority of the talent they have. He obviously can cut promos. He's a brilliant heel. There's there's a lot to go here, um, and it's definitely a move away from Vince's. And you know he obviously had Bret and Sean um, you know a couple of years ago, but. He has slowly been more moving back to the big the big guys, you know, with the Taker, Kane, the Big Show, even people like Mick Foley, The Rock, and um, Triple H's new body. You know, they're all big and much bigger than Chris Jericho is. So I'm not as uh, confident as I may, I may have been, you know, a few months ago that Chris Jericho will be a, a, a certain hit because you just look at someone who like The Big Show, who you would have put your house on being a big main event player in the WWF in the minute and he is he has really flopped. So there is definitely question marks about this signing, but in terms of the potential with Jericho, it's massive. And if you're a company that's on the up like WWF is, uh it's definitely a punt worth taking. Or a pretty expensive punt, but uh, go on. I think the important thing with Jericho in ring is we need to probably reconvene at the end of the year and see where he is. If he's still embroiled in the fourth of a five or more month long feud with road dog in that point, then we might want to reconsider. But I, I, I'm just, I just, I'm so eager to see what they're going to do with him. Cause 
I think he's can't miss. In the Federation, he's can't miss. He's as good enough worker as you need to be in that company. And he's got everything else he's nine or ten at. So, fingers crossed, can't miss. I think um, when it comes to the Feds, it's not just about the sort of uh, act you are. I think it's whether there's a certain connection with Vince. Um, the best example of this, I think, would be Vader, where just Vader, where Vince did not get Vader at all, which is weird because Vince has been Vince has, uh, made his money in, in big monsters, but you look at the, the career Vader had and the potential Vader had in like New Japan and WCW, and where he went to WWF, the only thing that went wrong was just Vince didn't get it. So it, it's Jericho's success, I think, is just going to be on whether on whether Vince gets the whole thing with Jericho or not. I mean, the guy's a top-level talent. Um, you know, he actually competed in an indie the other day. He just he defeated Terry Taylor and uh, just an independent in Pennsylvania, you know, just a <laughs> to a blockade between the WCW run and the, and the upcoming WWF run. Poor old Rooster. Well, the countdown to the millennium is on, according to the big nets. So we're assuming, if assuming that's him, we've got a couple of weeks left to to wait and then let the excitement begin. More opens up on July 5th with a recap of Austin's title victory over The Undertaker last week. We then learn that Undertaker has requested his WWF title rematch be a first blood match. Austin, being the toughest SOB that he is, gladly accepts as he hasn't forgotten Taker costing him his last first blood match against Kane at King of the Ring 1998. Nice bit of continuity there. Vince comes out to the ramp to the now traditional chorus of asshole chants. He claims the thought of Austin as champion makes him want to vomit and proposes that someone has got to go and go for good. The terms are, if Austin loses against The Undertaker fully loaded, he can never even attempt to become WF champion again. If Austin wins, you will never see Vince McMahon again. High stakes indeed. The Rock cuts a hilarious backstage promo putting his brand new t-shirt over Michael Cole's head for the entirety of it. It's the best use of Michael Cole all year. Our first match of the night is the Hardy Boys, Matt and Jeff with Michael Hayes cashing in their tag team title shot they won at King of the Ring against the Acolytes. And incredibly, after a king shot to the head and a tornado DDT, the Hardy Boys are your new WF tag team champions. Talk about a lightning fast push. Gangrel is not happy Godfather lent Edge some of his hoes last week, and neither are Draws and Albert who are following him dressed in drag. For some reason. Godfather wins with a leg drop after just one minute, and just to iterate, Gangrel sucks. Test is out next to face Joey Abs of the Mean Street Posse. He gives him a right good kicking until the posse run down for the beatdown, as Shane forces his sister Stephanie to watch the entire thing happen to her newest squeeze. Al Snow defeats Dido Brown in a quick hardcore title match. Road Dog is set for his match against Val Venus, but has other things on his mind, with China complaining to the police about her vandalized car with DX graffiti all over it. Sure enough, during the match, X-Bark is carted out to the ring handcuffed and they promptly cuff up Mr. Dog too. The match is ruled a no contest and anyone else cared, but both men are later taken away from the arena in squad cars. Jeff Jarrett makes short work of Chaz in the Intercontinental Title Defense, 
before Edge hits a spear to score a slight upset win over the big boss man. The latter obviously isn't happy and gives him a traditional boss man beatdown with his nightstick. Christian tries to make the save but to no avail, but there is no sign of Gangrel. Maybe it was forbidden <laughs> by the Undertaker. Our 1999 King of the Ring is out for a squash mash against Meat, a jackhammer and a fame master get a job done in 2 minutes. After spray painting Ryan Shamrock, JR speculates China graffitied her own car in order to get DX arrested. So quite a serious leap of logic there Jim. King is out to face Big Show and Hardcore Holly in the handicap match, however he gets some surprise help from The Undertaker. Kane chokes down Holly for the win before the Bros of Destruction unite to take down the Big Show and they then leave the ring together to close out the segment. Our main event sees The Rock and Triple H face off in a cage match in a fun if messy TV match actually ends in a clean finish. With Helmsley crotching himself on the ropes from the top of the cage allowing Rock to climb down for the win. Oh no wait Billy Gunn's out here to fame ass of The Rock onto the outside and the heels look strong to close us out. You want me to sign this damn thing? Give me a hell, yeah. I'll be happy to sign it, son, bitch. But you got a piece of property of mine, and I ain't gonna sign a damn thing until you hand it over, and I think you know what I mean. Property? I, I don't know. What... No, 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 wipe this stupid little look off your, spa- off your little face. You're supposed to bring a smoking skull belt, and I want to know what the damn thing is. When you hand that thing over, then I'll sign your little contract. Where's the belt? Well, I'll put it like this. We can do this, Vince, the easy way. Oh, no. Or we can do this the hard way. Oh, no. Uh-oh, that don't sound good for Vince. The easy way is you hand over my belt. I signed a contract. We got a deal, and everything's official. Now, if we choose to do this the hard way, which means you won't hand over my damn belt. I'll take this here contract, shove it so far up your ass, ah! I'll have to open your mouth to sign the damn thing. Ah! So what I suggest you do is go get one of your little old flunkies to bring my damn belt out here, hand it over, sign this damn thing, and we got a deal, and that's all I got to say about that. Champion 
and it looks like Austin is bleeding. Austin has been injured at the hands of the Undertaker. Again? <laughs> Again? Oh, look. Undertaker's got him again. Austin is hurt badly. Austin is hurt damn badly. Bust him open. Did you hear that? What? Did you hear McMahon say bust him open? That, that wasn't him that said what? that. Oh, well, his lips are moving. And the Undertaker fans out there. Oh, Stone Cold is hurt. The Undertaker came from who in the hell knows where. And Austin is Austin's been badly, badly lacerated. Yeah, let's go we. Right between the eyes, Austin was hit with his own smoking skull belt. McMahon just gave the Undertaker a, a, a fountain pen. the Undertaker doing? Don't tell me the Undertaker is is filling that pin with Austin's own blood. Is that what he did? Let me see. Let me see. I'll sign his damn contract. Let's get out of here. This McMahon just signed the contract for fully loaded in Austin's own blood. Oh my gosh! So coming off the first Raw of the month, uh, it was announced that the main event of Fully Loaded would be a first blood match between Steve Austin and The Undertaker, the fourth time these guys have main evented in a year. But more importantly, it would be the end of an era. Steve Austin effectively ruled out of the title picture forever or the banishment of the much beloved from our side and hated from the casual fan side character of Vince McMahon. Um, then we also have the interactions with Undertaker, who wanted to uh, cut open Austin every single week, shot after shot after shot with title belts, beer cans, pens, uh, at one point saying he wanted to drink from the cut as well, interestingly. Uh, uh, what... Roy, what did you think of the build to this match? Because, again, these guys have now fought each other quite a lot in the last 12 months. We've had the face-v-face you know, epic match at SummerSlam. We had Demonic Undertaker at you know, Buried Alive and Rock Bottom. And now we've got this. What did you make to this build? Okay, one thing. You did do the quote mark thing before you said epic for the SummerSlam 98 match, yeah? Your, fi- was- your fingers were in the air at the time when you were doing that. Just... just- I, I, I can retrospectively say yes. Good. <laughs> Go back just to our SummerSlam 98 show listeners for our somewhat controversial views on that particular main event. Yes, this build did what all builds should do, and it made me want to see a match, especially as I, more than anybody else, have been a very vocal critic of the Undertaker versus Austin matches we've had over the last two and a bit years. I just don't think they have a whole lot of in-ring chemistry. But... And a first blood match as well, which I'll get to a bit later on. Also, I'm far from a fan of. But they made me put all of that aside because this was real WrestleMania level build. They were talk about the red zone. Literally, this one was in the red zone. They were flying on this one. The fact it was built predicated on making the other guy bleed. And even in a situation now where we see blood on TV pretty much every single week in 
mainstream wrestling, this still had a real edge to it that you just don't normally get. I was really feeling the violence. Maybe it's because I just really wanted to, because I felt, you know, the kind soul that I am, I just wanted to give them one more chance and I was being a bit too benevolent towards it. But no, I think it was really hot. It probably did peak, because let's face it, where do you go from this other than, you know, unconsciousness, when um, uh, Austin had the contract signed by Vince in his own blood. They probably peaked a little early there. I think Austin standing on the the top of a a mobile blood truck is a bit of a step down from there, but uh, I'm going to let it go. But yeah, this was a hot, and I mean hot, build for a B pay-per-view, and I've got to give them a lot of credit for it, grudging though it may be. Mr. Joyce. Um, and I, I've, uh, I'm sort of in two different minds about Sir the Build. On one level, I think it's been really sort of a hot build for this, but um, a couple of the rules emanated this this month from uh, from the state of Kentucky. Now, I don't know if it's been covered in the news in the last couple of months. I don't remember it coming up, but Axel Rotten, not Axel, sorry, Ian Rotten. He ran IWA Mid-South out of Kentucky up until February, which he's now moved over to Indiana. A lot of that has to do with the way he, a lot of, with a lot of the bloodshed on his shows. And the Kentucky State Commission is actually at the minute looking into changing the rules when it comes to wrestling shows. Uh, I think the rule they're looking at at the minute is any blood in a wrestling match, that match instantly has to stop. I'm guessing it hasn't come in yet because of the main event on Raw the other week where Undertaker split Austin open and and the match continued. But I this this is probably gonna get edited out, so sod it, here goes. It, I know that some of the people who listen to this are probably in the business, um, on a, albeit on a low level. But if you're several years into your career and the best and the best booking you can get is for is for a piece of shit like Axel, like Ian fucking Rotten, uh, who pays you in pain pills to spill your blood on the floor of an empty arena. Then you need to take a long look in the mirror at your career. Whether it's uh, and you need to decide what you need to do with your life, because right now you need to go back to school if that's the best so your career is you need to either go back to wrestling school, go to trade school, go to university, because right now you're not good enough to be here in the wrestling business. Right. Moving on from that, the uh, Undertaker <laughs> didn't build. I'm... It's That's fine. St- staying in. It's st- basically a word to the wise, Adam. Any any phrase that begins, this is going to get edited, automatically stays in. So continue. <laughs> Plus the fact I completely agree with you. Uh, go ahead. Now, on... Over the last couple of years, I've um, praise for the Undertaker on this podcast has been patchy at best. A lot of people haven't have brought up how he's not necessarily the best in ring worker. Um, with seemingly missing the whole point of what the Undertaker is, the Undertaker is not as good a worker as he is, mm. and that match he had against Mick Foley at King of the Ring last year, a lot of people underestimate. Exactly how much he paid, uh, how much put he put into that match. You watch from that second fall, he is literally baby stepping Foley through that match until he is able to continue. A lesser work would, would have fallen apart. So at the moment he realized Foley was out of it. 
So I I don't feel that The Undertaker has got enough praise for that on this podcast. Um, but yeah, The Undertaker as a character, like I said, he's not there as a worker. He is there as a, as a special attraction. He is there as kind of like what Andre the Giant was back in, um, well, for most of his career, with the exception of the Hogan feud, Andre the Giant was the special attraction. He would come in every now and again. People would pay money to see him, not so much in a title match, but just to see him because it was a rarity. It was something out of the ordinary. And that's what The Undertaker, for the most of his career, has been. I feel uh, for the last month or so, this Austin feud, where Undertaker has, for some of it at least, been playing second fiddle to Vince McMahon, it's kind of lost the luster. He's, I mean, whoever is booking this, I don't think quite understands this, bro. But I mean, as a as a build to a match between just two main event workers, this this build has been pretty good. It's been I certainly want to see this match, but the fact that they have made Undertaker one of the boys, I it's. I feel it has damaged Undertaker overall, not so much for the draw for this match, but possibly for a draw for for future events. I definitely think you're onto something there with the overexposure of The Undertaker, but I don't think it's been going on this month. I think it's been going on since WrestleMania. The guy, the guy who was this mysterious figure for so long in this company and then even with this new satanic goat undertaker character that we've had since the Royal Rumble even then it's just been overexposed so much of him talking constantly sacrificing people speaking in tongues it's just this is the undertaker he's not meant to be a guy that you see every week coming out and cutting lengthy promos about I want to drink your blood and I and it's all personal Austin you know this is not what he's meant to be so I agree with you there. And I do have other problems with Undertaker this month, but we'll get onto that later in the show. But as we've said, this feud, this, this, this build to this match has been red hot. This Austin is so sympathetic in the moment. He has been bloodied every single week, effectively, since uh, he won the title back at the end of June. And the, the, the segment with Vince McMahon filling up the pen with Austin's own blood and signing the contract, that is worthy of being the higher power. Sports entertainment at its absolute best. Um, but yeah, I, I think this feud definitely was the culmination of everything that we've had storyline-wise, particularly Austin, because his main his main foes really since he became champion-elect back in WrestleMania 14 have been Undertaker and have been Vince McMahon. So to have these two men as the as the final bosses of this of this chapter of rest of uh, the WWF's main event storyline is kind of poetic and it's kind of good and it's it's great that they actually delivered on this main event build even if the Undertaker was overexposed but again that's not been a problem for this month in particular. On July 12th, Austin is out to sign the contract for the fully loaded first blood match and demands Vince come to the ring. He does so in a wheelchair after a car accident we briefly touched on in the news. Vince stalls, signing the contract until King's music hits of all things. Austin stares at the entrance ramp but is smashed over the head by The Undertaker from behind. 
The dead man continues the attack until Austin is busted open. Vince then pulls out a pen and has Undertaker fill it up to the top with Austin's own blood, which he then signs the contract with. Sports entertainment at its very best, ladies and gentlemen. The Brood has finally imploded as Gangrel takes on Edge in our first match of the evening. The two men have a pretty heated TV match as they ball up the ramp. With the fire pit, the Brood's used for their entrance still there covered in flames. And amazingly, Gangrel wins the slugfest and shoves Edge through the fire pit for the win, I guess. It's revealed the Fink was behind DX's arrest last week and as punishment he is tarred and feathered. It's always the Fink. It's always the Fink. Remember that, guys. The two men cut a promo on the upcoming match with Billy Gunn and China at Fully Loaded before Kane comes out. X-Pac confronts his tag partner about his sudden alliance with The Undertaker and says he is out of it if he continues to associate with him. The corporate DX arrive to beat down the faces before the dead man returns to save Kane, and in tow, DX. He tells Kane he will never ask him to change before walking away, and Kane appears to follow him up the ramp but stops halfway. The Hardy Boys make their first title defense on Raw against Godfather and Val Venus. In typical underdog fashion, the Hardy Boys retain by being disqualified with Michael Hayes hits Val Venus in the title with the title belt. Yes. Jeff Jarrett is out for a typical I demand respect promo before Steve Austin quickly offers a rebuttal by stunning him for no reason. He proclaims he wants to take it tonight with no rules and no referee. But for some reason this ends up with Austin tagging with The Big Show to face The Undertaker and Kane in tonight's main event. No, I have no idea either. But Austin stuns Jeff Jarrett again to put a little salt and pepper on that segment. With Kane now in the main event, X-Pac and Rodog are a man down, taking on the corporate DX team in a six-man tag. However, luckily The Rock is on hand to even the odds. In another comparatively long match, i.e. seven minutes, the faces get a clean win, The Rock pinning Billy Gunn with a people's elbow. Draws is out, is out against Al Snow in a hardcore evening gal match. For some reason, Snow picks up the win, but out comes Prince Albert who rams a giant railroad spike into head, which leaves Al Snow screaming in pain at the same time. Hardcore Holly continues his delusional gimmick by taking on the Acolytes in a handicap match. He is rightfully beaten to a pulp before being saved by the Big Show. I legitimately have no idea if Show is meant to be a face or heel here, as he carries off Holly to the back, even though the latter is acting like Scrappy Doo, saying, Come on, I nearly had them. It's now Tess vs. the Ministry Posse in a gauntlet match. The big man makes short work of Pete Gas and Rodney. But before he can get the win over Joey, Steve Blackman runs out with his big stick to beat down Test. Shane McMahon is orchestrating all of this and is loving it until Ken Shamrock comes down to see off the lethal weapon. The posse continue their assault and attempt to pilmanize Test's ankle. Before they can, Stephanie runs down to try and stop them. In the confusion, Shane elbows her in the face. Shocked, the heir apparent to the throne carries the little sister to the back. Backstage, Undertaker claims that he and Kane are back together because blood is thicker than water because he's in the blood feud with Austin and he's also in the first blood match at Fully Loaded. It's all about the blood here, ladies and gentlemen. He later says he's busting Austin open later tonight and he might even drink from the cut. The Buffy the Vampire Slayer vibes continue with The Undertaker, even and the dying embers of this character. We then get a countdown to the Millennium Clock suddenly appear on the screen for no reason at all. I can only imagine what the surprise might be. It's our main event tag team match and Austin, as usual, brings blood and thunder to proceedings early on in a wild brawl. 
As you expect, all the focus is on the two main eventers, with the Big Show in particular looking like a dolt in comparison. During the kerfuffle, Austin is busted open again, but that doesn't stop him hitting a stunner on Kane for the free to close us out. I would like to apologize for what happened last Monday night. You know that, you know that I love you more than any brother could ever love a sister. You know that I would never intentionally strike you. You know that I would never ever intentionally strike my baby sister. I'm sorry, but it wasn't my fault. No, no, no. It was that derelict test's fault. It is all his fault. He's been screwing up everything. He's been screwing it all up. You know, he, this whole situation is out of control. But luckily, Big Brother is here to save the day. And once again, just want to let you know that I've taken care of things. And I've been talking at length to Joey Abs. Steph, Joey has, he, he's willing to put your differences aside that have happened in the past. Joey Abs is willing to forgive you, Stephanie, and take you back. It'll, it'll be just like, just like it was, just like it was supposed to be. You and Joey Abs. Shane is pathetic. Take him back? Yeah. Like it was supposed to be? Shane. I went out with Joey one time, and that was because you asked me to. And that wasn't a date. It was a nightmare. I don't want any part of you or Joey. She's got good taste. Stephanie, don't you remember how good it used to be? Now, I know that you blew your first opportunity with me, but I have a big heart, and I am willing to take you back. So taking a little break from the big, massive stories of uh, the WF this month, a little storyline in the mid card that's been getting a, a pretty good reception, I think, uh, from the majority of us in this podcast. Um, Test and Stephanie McMahon. Um, the union disbanded very quietly without any fanfare. But as uh, Test's reward for standing up to the corporate ministry, he managed to get a little date with the boss's daughter and... Uh, yeah, actually, it's been turning out quite well for them. They've been seeing each other off and on again. You know, they're, they're getting a bit smoochy behind the scenes and it's it's developing into a nice little relationship. Unfortunately, the boss's daughter also has a brother who's not very kind to his sister being dating other wrestlers in the company. And unfortunately, this brother also has a free, free henchman to do his bidding for him. And this resulted in Tess being assaulted in pretty much every single episode of raw we've had this month um rory what do what do you think of this storyline overall i mean it's uh, the wf's get a lot of praise generally for the fact that it, it has it's, it's mid card is in quite a lot of storylines and i think this is probably the best one currently going and lay my cards on the table there what do you think yeah it's all right isn't it i just wanted to mention it here because I think it's indicative of what we might well be getting going forward with the younger McMahons. I think 
but mood, mood music seems to be suggesting that they are going to be on our screens now to stay. And there's, despite Stephanie graduating a couple of years ago, she will be wor- working in the wrestling business. And by the wrestling business, we, we mean the WWF, the sports entertainment business, of course. So this is already her second big on-screen storyline. And it's a bit of a step down from being abducted and kidnapped and forced into a black wedding. I think they're playing this one pretty straight. And I'm really quite pleased with that. She wants to date a wrestler. Big Brother is not very happy. Big Brother's friends are around to try to sort it out best they can. Making it look as though Big Brother is doing his best for Little Sister, when really he's just trying to screw around and fuck things up, because that is what Big Brother likes to do. How many times have we heard that story? And now we're seeing it played out on our TV screens. I would imagine it's going to end with either... Well, no, I hope it's not going to end with Stephanie turning heel on Tess. That would be absolutely fucking ludicrous. So I'm sure they've considered it. But it will probably end with Tess and Stephanie going off and all being very nice and lovey-dovey and happy. And Shane, I don't know what's going to happen with him. I don't see him. I don't see contrition being part of Shane's character, but we'll see depending on how long this goes. One thing I did want to mention, the only real black mark for this so far on me was uh, one of the Raws this month where... Stephanie came down to the ring to help test and Shane caught her with an errant elbow in its own right. That wasn't so bad, but I don't think we needed the commentators doing their serious voices. We did not need JR saying, as he has said far too many times in this situation over the last, will be situations like this over the last year or so. Oh, this wasn't meant to happen. I, I hate that sort of fourth wall breaking, especially for something here, which everybody can relate to anyway. There are two people, they quite like each other. They want to date. We don't need all the kayfabe busting stuff. But otherwise, this is... A, it gets the posse on our screens, and I don't see how that can possibly be a bad thing in any way, shape or form. And it's a bit of love in all that hate. So let's keep it going for a while. Uh, Adam, I will... Put it to you that it looks like Tess is going to be running through the Main Street Posse, unfortunately. Pete Gas got absolutely trounced on the last episode of Raw. So it looks like we're going to get Tess versus Shane at SummerSlam. Yes. Are you looking forward to that match? Um, it depends on how they play it. If they play it as a straight wrestling match, maybe not. If they throw some gimmicks in, um, Shane, he showed with the x Quack feud that you know, if you give him the right amount of things to play with, he actually, he can put on an entertaining match. Um, Test is not the best wrestler, but if you get like a Pat Patterson or someone with that sort of mind for the business, someone who, I mean, Pat is a brilliant finish guy. Um, he The Royal Rumble is uh, his concept. He, he knows the business and they have got a few guys back, other guys backstage who, who have a similar sort of mind for the business, if they get them to sort of uh, agent this match just right, it will be an entertaining thing like the X-Pac feud was. Um, I, the trouble is, it's... Test as a, as a wrestler is not particularly standout. He, he's got a brilliant look, um, if you ignore his buck teeth. <laughs> but as a his look is brilliant but his in-ring skills are barely, uh, there's nothing stand out about him 
Hey, he can he can do a top rope elbow drop. I mean, come on, guys. This is this is the living incarnation of you know Shawn Michaels, but just six <laughs> foot six. A work rate marvel indeed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, can, as as you said, sorry, sorry, on you go. I can do a beautiful back elbow, but you don't see me main eventing cards up and down the country. Um, but no, I, the trouble is, I see they're putting a lot of stock in this. Uh, storyline is putting a lot of stock into test but where is it going to go afterwards for him if it's an attempt to elevate him up the card i don't know if he has the experience or the aptitude to really sort of handle a top a top uh, tier position at least in this point in his, his career i think they should have given him a, a another couple of years just to get some seasoning uh just to sort of fly away working tv matches because i believe he has been working a while uh dark matches prior to his his debut at the start of the year but i mean as a storyline i'm i'm into it it's not ridiculous compared to a lot of the stuff that i see on on raw and heat lately but but yeah as, as a storyline i have no issues with it it's more just a case of and the match that potentially is going to happen at SummerSlam. I'm I I have moderate to kind of highish hopes for. It's just what they're going to do once the storyline ends that that I'm that I'm not sure about. I don't think the writers even know what they're doing after the storyline ends, <laughs> judging by the history of this company so far this year. But the, as as you said, Test ain't no Sean Walkman, so I have concerns about Shane McMahon versus Test in a straight up singles match, but Hey, look at the bloody company. That doesn't happen anyway. It's all about the brawling. Like, just as pay-per-view alone, we had about seven matches that featured some kind of brawling. So, and as you said, there are big people backstage who want Shane McMahon in particular to look good and to succeed. So I reckon they're going to put a lot of effort into this match. And I think I'm tentatively optimistic um, because I've said before on podcasts, I'm getting a bit tired of Vince wrestling, but I'm not tired of Shane because he can, he, he's athletic. He can do stuff in the ring. If you put him in there with some bells and whistles, and you know maybe the posse will make an appearance, maybe the Stooges will make an appearance. I don't know, but I'm looking forward to this, and I think it's probably one of the best storylines that's currently going on Raw, which is saying something because there's about 25 happening at the minute. Corporate Ministry open up the 19th of July edition of Raw as Vince takes the mic in his wheelchair. He says Sunday night will be the end of an era and the stakes have never been higher. After mentioning The Undertaker's career is metaphorically on the line as well, Undertaker is not best pleased but says his fight with Austin on Sunday is personal. After more toing and throwing between the pair, Triple H interjects claiming Vince can't trust Undertaker. Vince agrees and ends up making Undertaker vs Triple H tonight with the winner facing Austin for the title and the loser facing The Rock in a strap match for the number one contendership. Glass shatters and Austin is out in another vehicle, this time in a blood bank truck. If Undertaker wants blood, Austin has brought him a whole truck full. Tonight, Undertaker is getting locked inside and Vince can make a donation to the blood bank. If If Undertaker wants Austin's blood, Austin wants a piece of Undertaker's ass. Road Dog and China's rematch from King of the Ring is taking place in a dog pound match, i.e. a dog collar match. 
because that wasn't that wasn't good enough for the writing team, even though it's got the word dog in its fucking name. It doesn't matter though because the bell doesn't even ring because China refuses to wear the dog collar. Billy Gunn rushes the ring and chokes Rhodey with it before X Park makes the save. Shane is backstage to formally apologise for hitting Stephanie last week, and in a classic heel move, claims it's actually Tess's fault because he let everything get out of control. He's been working to make things better, and Joey Abs is still willing to take her back. But after more gormless crassness from Abs, he gets a slap in the face for his troubles. In a four corners match, the Hardys are defending against the Acolytes, Venus and Godfather, and Prince Albert and Droz. A Michael Hayes cane shot beats Bradshaw yet again, before a Jeff Hardy Hurricane Rana sends Val into the roll up for a free. The Hardy Boys retain. Jeff Jarrett vs Christian is up next for the Intercontinental title. In a quick back and forth match, Jarrett picks up the win with his face first Russian leg sweep after Christian was distracted by Gangrel. But the champ celebrations are cut short by Edge giving him a bloodbath. Rock vs Billy Gunn is up next. Surely this needs to be built up a little bit more even though one of them was crowned King of the Ring last month. After a quick channel distraction on the people's elbow, Billy Gunn hits the Fame Master for the win. Hmm, well, I guess they're actually giving him wins. Al Snow is still insane following Head's injury, but luckily he isn't defending his hardcore title tonight against the Bossman. Snow pleads with Bossman to hit him and put him out of his misery. Bossman is only too happy to oblige and is DQ'd for a nightstick shot. Edge and Dealer Brown defeat Gangrel and Midian, aka the suckiest bunch of sucks that ever sucked, in a quick tag team match. Tess takes on Shane McMahon's hired gun Steve Blackman in our next match. He's on the verge of getting the win before the posse are out yet again for the DQ. And yet here comes Ken Shamrock, who is on hand to save the day with a baseball bat, rinse and repeat. Big Show and Hardcore Holly are out to take on Kane and X-Park next. Shortly after the bell, Undertaker is out again to choke Sam X-Park right in the middle of the ring. The match is ruled a no contest as Taker destroys Show and Hollywood steel stairs. Kane goes to try and help X-Park who is out on the floor, but is being ushered away by Undertaker. Unfortunately for the dead man, the production crew decided that now was a good time to play the replay of Undertaker laying out Kane's partner. After a brief pause, Kane has had enough and chokes Sam's Undertaker with authority to a massive pop. X-Park comes to on the ramp, realises what's happened and hugs the big red machine. For half a second, Kane returns the favour to an equally massive reaction. Despite being in the ring for the previous segment, Undertaker does a full entrance for his main event with Triple H. But Austin is out and is coming for Vincent Man's blood right now. He causes Undertaker to win by DQ to set up their title match on Sunday. After brawling up the ramp, Undertaker is locked in the blood truck and it's Austin and Vince all alone. Vince is clocked in the head with a title belt and is inevitably busted open. Austin returns a favour from last week and signs the contract in Vince's blood. But before he can celebrate, The Undertaker is back and busts open Austin again with a beer can. The wound is fresh for Sunday. So earlier on in the show, I mentioned that I was a bit um, annoyed about something that The Undertaker has been doing as well as the main event. Uh, he's also been getting involved in another couple of mid-card storylines. Uh, one is the... Utterly ridiculous hardcore Holly Big Show alliance that's randomly been happening on Raw. The oh, Big God. Show. Um, and also, it seems that uh, we've had about four different turns of Kane's character as well. So, as we as you've probably heard by now, Kane semi kind of re- reunited with The Undertaker after they took down The Big Show in a pretty effective beatdown segment. 
for one week, The Undertaker and Kane were reunited. But then the next week on board, it was all over because Undertaker randomly decided to attack X-Pac. Choke slammed him in the middle of the ring. Undertaker and Kane were about to leave. And then all of a sudden, the camera guys decided to replay that entire segment back on the Titantron for Kane to see. So did he reunite with his brother or did he uh, return to X-Pac's aid? Well, it was the latter. And Kane decided to become a human being in the words of jerry the king lorna and side with x-pac now don't get me wrong it, the segment itself was pretty good the crowd were nuclear um but adam my question to you is after we've had a talk about the overexposure of the undertaker is it wise for the undertaker to be involved in two maybe three storylines on raw currently with one of them being the main event for the WWF title it's not just the answer. They seem to be doing this with everyone. You've got so Undertaker's involved with Austin, with with Kane, with, with Big Show. Big Show's involved with Kane, with Bob Holly, um, and you've got Kane who's involved with all of them and and Xbox. They do seem to. I get that they're trying to, you know, make try and make. They're all very three-dimensional when, you know, you don't just have issues with one person at a time. But it is it is getting kind of hard to follow, especially uh, the the path that Kane took over the last month where he was a case of he was with, was he with The Undertaker? Were they not? Um, he I mean, was on a break. <laughs> uh, um, the, Unders- the Undertaker, like you said, he, he is getting overexposed he, I, I'm trying to think trying to think of the right words for this but he works he works best when you see less of him it because as I was saying earlier that that's what he is he's an attraction but if your attraction is on TV as much as everyone else he's not an attraction he's one of the boys which is goes back to the point I was saying of the um, they're making the Undertaker one of the boys because someone seemingly doesn't get what he's supposed to be. Um, I mean, they did a backstage interview with him uh, a couple of roars ago that was considerably better than some of the shock they gave him uh, back in February with the higher power stuff, but you know, the then he had two others, I think probably two other segments that were and it's like, does he really need that much? They, yeah, they, they're doing too much with him and getting too little out of him. He's, he's second fiddle in the Vince Austin thing. And he's on, and he's, now they've got him in a tag team feud where he should be, elevated above at least someone in the tag team feud but he's on the same level as the other three members of that feud one of them's sean walkman no offense to walkman i think he's a fantastic talent but he should not be on the same level as the undertaker for the sole reason the undertaker is supposed to be this special attraction all right vince um 
don't fuck stick up for the little guys adam come on uh Rory, <laughs> we had a we had a bitch in the moan there about undertaker as is customary on the wf portion of this podcast but uh what did you, you think he is not that small i've stood next to him I've, i sort of keep looking up and it's like you're only an inch and a half taller than me yet i feel a fucking midget <laughs> it's all relative adam it's all it's relative it doesn't turn heads in airports pal come on <laughs> <laughs> yes dad uh, your question sir my question to you, Rory, is uh, what did you actually think about this for Kane's character? Because I have, I am struggling to think of a reaction that was louder than the moment when he choked Sam the Undertaker for this entire month. So we may question the, the um, logistics of it, but ultimately it's managed to get Kane even more over than he, what he already was. You're, you're quite right about the logistics, but this is one of those occasions where I'm going to completely ignore them and I'm just going to go with the crowd. That pop was off the charts. People have wanted this for a good few months now and it's been coming. They've been teasing it. I thought for a while they were going to move away from it and Kane was going to go back heel. Indeed, there were times where I thought they were just going to outright drop the angle with X-Pac and not even mention it, but they've gone all the way with it. They've taken it to at least this element of it to its natural conclusion. Kane finally realising that he's been being played, sticking up for somebody who has put his own body on the line for his own welfare over the last few months and showing that human side. So much so that on the, I believe it was the final roar of the month, he even took to the microphone to say how grateful he was and now he was going to make some other people pay with his friend Sean. The fact he sounded like one of the Smash robots while doing so only added to the quality, <laughs> in my opinion. On your last trip, did you discover what the Earth people eat? They eat a great many of these. They peel them with their metal knives. Boil them for 20 of their minutes. Then they smash them all to bits. They are clearly a most primitive people. For mash, get smash. Tremendous stuff, you know logically practically it doesn't make a whole lot of sense and normally i would be the first person to be trying to tear that to shreds but here it, i loved it i enjoyed it the fans did they got what they wanted to see this guy kane you no know, this demonic uber beast this is probably as human as i want to see him get i don't want to see him like delivering bowls of fruit to, to x-pac or anything like that or you no know, tipping his cap in the milkman that's going a bit too far. But here, showing a human side, a bit of compassion, and people in the you know, the hurly-burly, tough days of July 99, where it's not cool to be nice, Kane, Kane of all people, you know, a little bit of heart and everybody loves it. Yeah, this was a... Not only was it great, not only was it enjoyable, it was what people actually wanted. And even now, I still don't think the Fed give that to us quite enough. Here they did, and that's why it was such a success. 100% agree there, Rory. If you didn't have a little bit of your heart warm when X-Park hugged Kane on the ramp and Kane, just for one little half a second, reciprocates the hug, then you're watching the wrong programme. Brilliant stuff from the debate from a baby face on the rise. And with that, we will now head into our July 1999 pay-per-view, fully loaded, end of an era. Uh, Roy, I believe you have the results to hand if you want to fly through them. 
We will indeed. So the results of our second annual, as we must call it, fully loaded pay-per-view took place on the 25th of July at the Marine Midland Arena in Buffalo, New York. And this is what we got. We opened up with Jeff Jarrett defeating Edge to win the Intercontinental Championship back from Edge. More on that shortly. Uh, The Acolytes defeated the Hardy Boys in an Acolyte Rules match to win the WWF Tag Team Championship. D'Lo Brown defeated Midian to win the WWF European Championship. Are you catching on yet? If not, maybe this will help. Big Boss Man defeated Al Snow to win the WWF Hardcore Championship. Big Show defeated Kane with Hardcore Holly as our special referee. Ken Shamrock beat Steve Blackman in a Iron Circle match. Road Dogg and X-Pac defeated Billy Gunn and China in a tag team match for the rights to DX. Triple H beat The Rock in a fully loaded strap match to give it its full title to become the number one contender to the WWF title at SummerSlam. And in our end of the era, end of an era, first blood match for the world title, Stone Cold Steve Austin did indeed defeat The Undertaker and Vince McMahon can no longer appear on WWF television. Adam, what did you think of this show? Um, I, I enjoyed the show, actually. Um, There's a couple of bits that I didn't think needed to be there, but considering some of the WWF shows I've, I've watched lately, this, this was sort of a fairly solid, solid effort. Um, it's, uh, it's not one of the big four. Don't you mean big five? I watched King of the Ring. No, big four. Um, so yeah, it's, it's certainly an improvement over, yeah, a couple of the recent efforts, although the May one can't be helped, um, tragically, but, uh, yeah, uh, there's like I'll go into some of the bits that I didn't like in the review, but overall it was serviceable. I'll leave it there for now. Rory, I was expecting good story. I got good story. I wasn't really expecting good in ring, and in more places than I thought. Even just looking at the card here, I got good in ring. Of course, this needs to be qualified. This is fully loaded 99, not Super J Cup 94. So Billy Johnson can calm down if he's listening. But I think most of the in-ring work, with a couple of all too notable exceptions, supported the excellent storylines that we got throughout here and made a thoroughly enjoyable show, a lot more so than I was expecting. I think the key word there, Roy, from you as well for me is enjoyable. Yep. If you call, I don't think you can quantify this as technically good in some places and possibly even throughout the majority of the show. But this is almost the perfect encapsulation of the WWF style, which has made it so enjoyable to watch throughout the majority of the year. And we'll break down exactly why throughout the show. But we open up with the news that Steve Austin has once again been busted open at the hands of the Undertaker and has received stitches on Sunday Night Heat. Upon questioning from Michael Cole, Shane and Vince deny any involvement in the Undertaker's attack and Vince guarantees Austin will never again be the WWF champion after tonight. Our opening contest is Jeff Jarrett with Deborah, or to call her by her current moniker, The Puppies, (laughs) taking on Edge for the Intercontinental title. (laughs) 24 hours earlier, the WWF had been in Toronto where in front of his hometown crowd, Edge beat Jeff Jarrett to win the belt. And I don't know about you guys, but 
I think it's always nice when we get that little odd title change here and there on a house show just to make it that much more anything can happen, you know, vibe that is uh, missing from the majority of house shows nowadays. Agreed. We head off a go behind waist up by Jarrett when uh, Edge counters into a head scissors. Edge with a drop kick and then those stupid, idiotic, we want puppies chants start again. Uh, Jarrett whips Edge into the ring steps, but after rolling him back in the ring, he is caught with a Northern Knight suplex for a two. Edge can't capitalise as he twists his knee after a leapfrog and Jarrett begins to work it over, keeping the youngster grounded. He soon abandons that plan, though, and begins to work over the arm with basic rope-based offence. Jarrett with a sleeper off the ropes, a flatjack for two, and then a second much deeper sleeper as we take a breather. Edge rallies and hits two roll-ups in quick succession for two before we get the classic heads of the willy spot. The pace quickens as Edge hits a swing and net breaker and an inside cradle for a pair of twos. A tornado DDT is followed up by Edge and now tortured and completely out of date and character scream. But all of a sudden the lights begin to flicker and the bloodbath music begins to play. You can just about make out Gangrel attacking Edge before we fade to complete darkness. When the lights come back up, Gangrel is laid out on the floor with Edge standing over him. Hmm, maybe the writers have been listening to me after all. Back in the ring, Edge reverses Jarrett's crossbody and an attempted sunset flip for more twos, but the always great dropkick counter into a powerbomb spot for another near fall. Edge hits a spear, but the puppies are on the apron again to distract the ref. Edge accidentally knocks her down, but in the confusion, Gangrel is back up to hang his rival off the ropes, allowing Jarrett to hit his face first Russian leg sweep to regain the Intercontinental title. Uh, Rory, what did you think of this match? Good opener. Good opener. Edge wrestled as if he had something to prove here, as if he was trying to tell the people in the back that being given the IC title, obviously just for one day, shouldn't be where it ends for him. It should only be the beginning of the beginning. And he wrestled like he really had something to prove. And I think he showed it here. A lot of fire, a lot of a lot tighter than we've seen from him over the last year. I've been probably not really critical, but I haven't been totally convinced by Edge yet. Here he went some way to making me change my mind. And it was helped that he's in there with, in take a breath to talk about Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett, it's it's a time again. Whenever you mention those two words, I always have to mention this. I feel like I have to apologize for giving credit to Jeff Jarrett, but I feel like I have to apologize for giving credit to Jeff Jarrett, but he is a good worker. Just everything, everything that comes with Jarrett is what drags him down. And I do think he actually knows it. On the other hand, is he getting, dare I say it slightly, over with this particular gimmick? I don't think they fully explored it yet, but it seems to me they're going with these. No, I might treat Deborah uh, a little on the, the puppies. Rough side. She's no, no. Not, oh, sorry, her name, side. Her name is not Deborah. It was sorry, not mentioned po- once sorry. at all during that's, that fucking match. That's appallingly chauvinistic of me. Treating the puppies a bit roughly, perhaps. Let's see where that one goes. And don't piss me off is at least a memorable catchphrase, if nothing else. But yeah, really solid stuff here. They they mesh quite well. Jarrett grounded the match, but I thought Edge needed that. If he's gonna, if Edge is gonna move up the card at any point, if he's not gonna be, if he is, hmm, stop myself there because I do think Edge is gonna be working tag team for the next couple of months anyway with Christian. But yeah, just thinking about it, that's probably best for him. But if he does ever venture back into singles, he is gonna need to slow down a bit. So here, where Jarrett working some heat spots, and Edge can think about that, how he's gonna respond to them in his comebacks. I did like the turn which you mentioned there, mentioned there, Dan. As soon as the lights went out, I was like, oh, here we go. 
but Edge was wise to it and didn't just fall victim of the bloodbath. See, that's taking your tropes and it's developing them. It's not just churning things out day after day, week after week, pay-per-view after pay-per-view. The banana skin ending was a bit annoying, but what are you going to do? Jarrett needed to be champion here. I don't think it hurts Edge anywhere in the long run. And I think maybe in a year or so's time, depending on where he is, we can look back on this match, even though he was defeated, and say, yeah, this is where it started for him, because I was impressed. I think he gave an excellent account of himself here. And Jarrett is Jarrett. Adam, what did you think of the opener? You know, uh, Edge wasn't actually due to win the title, as in when the uh, three count at that house show happened, it wasn't a title match. Um, Funnily enough, I think Hebner was actually the referee for that match, but uh, Black Jack Lanza came out after uh, after Edge won and said, "No, no, we're we're giving him the title," and yeah, just for the big sort of hometown pop, uh, and so they didn't have a second Canadian screw job in in two years. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's amazing some of the stuff you, you can find if you sort of look hard enough for it. Um, the, the match itself, yeah, was was pretty was pretty solid. Um, I've I've never had an issue with Jarrett as an in-ring talent. He's not a main event star, but I think what he's doing now is may actually be some of the best stuff he's he's producing. Um, he no longer has that ridiculous hair, that ridiculous outfit. Um, he's he's got a reason for people to hate him he's got the hot chick who no one uh who he doesn't want anyone to look at um granted it would be nice if they used her name um but the fact that they're not allowing her to speak is a small victory i feel for the rest of us um (laughs) seriously that that bird cannot pro i i just can't stand her voice um i mean the GTV thing on the Raw before this with Ben Stiller was just cringeworthy. It's... Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. When, it, when, it's just, when it's just the King, Jerry Lawler, doing it, it's a case of it's one old guy who I can shut out because no one else is bringing it up. But when it starts to seep in and other people start doing it, it's a case of, okay, now this is actually getting quite uncomfortable for me to watch with people um the, the match itself like i said um i enjoyed the match itself um it's a good solid opener it looked like they were going to slow it down when edge tweaked his knee um which would have but they sort of cut that very short which is great because that would have killed the killed it as a match otherwise um the crowd really didn't seem to be that into it um it weren't making a lot of noise especially and especially ones on the hard cam were more focused on appearing on the screen than actually what was going on in the ring, which um, at points was quite distracting, especially they did um, a sleeper spot, which which it actually didn't break the action considering it was a sleeper spot and they can do that. Um, the sleeper spot should have got a reaction, but when, Half the people behind him are just sort of looking up at the up at the screen, thinking, "Oh, there I am!" and waving. It's it is very distracting. Um, I am not a big fan of black blackouts, especially when they last as long as as the one did here. Um, maybe it comes from my history as a performing arts student, but 
if you, there is something about blackouts that comes across as very amateur and very C grade GCSE stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's also the fact that there wasn't really a storyline going into this prior to the previous roar. It's, I feel it's kind of watering down the, the IC title a bit. You know, this is supposed to be a secondary belts and a week before your pay-per-view, your champion doesn't have an opponent. It, it does kind of knock it a bit, but, um, but yeah, the match was, was good. Um, Jarrett won, which I think is the best course. Uh, it looks like they're building to something with uh, Gangrel and Edge. And if you watched Heat, you know, that Edge is trying to create some separation between Christian and Edge, which was seemingly forgotten about on the next uh, Monday Night Raw when they when they came out together for the tag titles. But, you know, continuity in, in WWF, I, I feel I may, be, uh, I may be hoping for a little bit too much. Um, but yeah, the only like I said, the only thing that really did this match in for me was just the crowd and Jarrett. Uh, the crowd was starting to get into edge towards the end of the match, but uh, the only way Jarrett could get any noise was saying, "Yeah, me and the puppies are now going backstage." You watch up to that up to that point, his victory is met with such complete apathy. Yeah, the match itself, I think, was pretty pretty good opener good opener standard really you know good high spots in places and classic kind of formula did the job that's what that's what an opener should do and, it should, and i think they both guys guys did it quite well um and as you said edge winning the belt one day before and losing it straight back again doesn't him no harm at all i think as you said it's more for the hometown crowd having that as a victory was good um and jeff jarrett is I feel like we've kind of just like have this residual heat towards Jeff Jarrett since the space invader costume and that stupid mullet and that horrible NWA storyline. But like he's been pretty good for about a year now, really, since the haircut and um, since the transition into the don't piss me off gimmick. And I think we kind of need to refigure our overall thoughts on Jarrett, really, um, because, I've, yeah, I do think there is a bit of residual hate that's still carrying around with him because he's good. He's fine. He's a, he's a good worker for particularly in the WDF stand. He's probably one of the best workers they've got. Um, and having him with the workhorse belt as the intercontinental title is pretty good. Again, considering that the main event pitch at the minute is so stacked, I think him having the belt is pretty fine, you know, for what it is. I've already made my thoughts on Gangra absolutely clear. So the, the thought of him being relegated and having edge in particular and possibly christian elevated past him is, is always a good move and i thought this was a particularly fine piece of burial for him just going yeah you're not good enough to hang with this young kid anymore please let him go um so hopefully these guys can get their their um, issues resolved as quickly as possible and move edge and maybe christian on to better things and have uh, jeff Jarrett and deborah actually you know involved in the main storyline as well which isn't hopefully chauvinistic and reducing a woman to a pair of breasts post-match Jarrett is on the microphone calling himself the greatest intercontinental champ of all time but we cut back to austin storming out of a medical room and then the glass shatters for the second time of the month austin buries the hell out of jeff Jarrett and stuns him out of his boots 
He then says Undertaker is going to be busted open tonight to even the score. Just a bit of information there. Jarrett was also stunned and basically made a fall off by Steve Austin, which by all accounts is due to some bit of uh, backstage politicking by the Rattlesnake, who is not a, the biggest fan of the current Intercontinental Champion. One quick thing about Jarrett on that, the way he sells the stunner, it looks like he's doing a backwards doggy paddle for some reason. <laughs> Just take a flat back bump, man, like everybody else does. All right, carry on. <laughs> Our next match is the Hardy Boys and Michael Hayes defending their WWF tag team titles against the Acolytes in an Acolytes Rules match, aka No DQ. Michael Hayes claims he will lead by example in a post in a pre-match uh, promo. I.e., we're also not letting the Hardy Boys talk yet because they're green as grass. The two teams begin brawling in the highway before the bell with the Acolytes teeing off on the champs. Hayes in particular gets a stiff as hell clothesline from Bradshaw and another still stair shot to his bad back from Farouk. As the bell rings, Jeff Hardy flies over the top rope to take out Bradshaw, which draws some ooze from the crowd, before Matt follows up with a top rope moonsault to the outside. In the ring, Jeff hits a top rope drop kick on Bradshaw, allowing Matt to sneak in a quick roll up for a two. The brothers ramp up the double team moves, hitting three more front facing drop kicks to force the Texan to the outside, before a springboard leaping kick to Farouk in the corner. Michael Hayes is back to hit a double suplex, and Jeff quickly follows up with a high angle senton splash from the top. That only gets a two, and Brad is Bradshaw's back in the ring for launching Jeff out the ring and smashing Hayes over the head with a stiff right to take control. The acolytes begin to work over Matt, and surprisingly Hayes, who I assumed would stay out the match until the finish, but he has got his working boots on tonight. Good on him for an old timer. Jeff then draws a short straw by taking a high angle power slam from Farouk and a top rope half power bomb by Bradshaw, who quickly flips off the free bird before two. The action breaks down as Matt hits an ace crusher on Farouk, but Bradshaw hasn't tortured Matt enough yet, so he hits a stiff clothesline and a top rope back suplex on the young man. Jeff saves the matchup and cracks Bradshaw over the head with, with Michael Hayes' cane, but this time it's not enough as only gets a two count. Bradshaw then de- almost decapitates Jeff with a clothesline off a springboard leap that the younger Hardy boy hit earlier. With both Hardys out of the ring, the Acolytes isolate Michael Hayes and hit the double power bomb for the free count and the tag team titles. So much for leading by example there, Michael. Uh, Adam, what did you think of this uh, stiff as hell match? I thought it was great. Um, yeah, I saw the match between the power guys and the I don't want to say flippy guys because um you look at the Hardys in WWF and you look at like the a lot of the cruiserweights in WCW there is something there is just something about the Hardys that's more relatable than a lot of the the Mexican guys there's just something that although they're you know in the biggest wrestling promotion in the world there is something that a lot of that a lot of teenagers can look at and go oh there's something I see something of myself in them. So I think that's a relatability that that may sort of help sort of escalate to the Hardys if the if the Fed can sort of focus that just right. Um, it it was kind of odd that the baby faces had the numbers advantage. That's not generally how this works. Um, although the fact that it was Hayes who took the loss makes you feel maybe that either maybe that's going to turn the Hardys or that Hayes is going to be separated from them because, you know, it, 
otherwise, why would he be the one taking taking the loss? Um, Bradshaw and Jeff, especially, had some brilliant spots. You mentioned like the one arm power bomb, and uh, there was another one later on, which I can't think what it was off uh, offhand. But yeah, they, they had some brilliant. Just their timing was snapping. Um, which is unfortunately the, some of the stuff that Farouk and Matt was doing wasn't quite clicking as well, which is a shame because if you took out some of the more uh, sloppy looking spots from those two, that this match would have been uh, probably add an extra half a star on it at least. Um, there was one other thing I wanted to say. What was it? Ah, um, oh, it, it's gone whatever. It was. But yeah, no, I, I enjoyed this. Um, they were got the acolytes in, in a solid position which is good i'm just hoping that they can find some credible opposition for them because as good as the hardies are as good as like agent christian are they aren't there does seem to be a bit of a gap at the minute if those are like the two teams that they're looking to to push towards the acolytes they're going to have to work some magic sort of build them up i mean they've got the talent there it's just a case of you know finding the, finding a way to sort of uh you know to capture that talent and and sort of make it work Rory what did you make of this uh, hazing by Bradshaw and Farouk uh, hazing I see what you did there um okay so this is really the this is an 11 minute match this is the first time we've really properly seen the Hardy boys and this, they were losing the tag team titles here. That's a point to note. We'll come back to that in a second. What we got here, though, was a lot, and I mean a lot of fun. All five people involved, and I include Hayes in that very much, they just went for it here. And it felt like a double showcase of both teams. Bradshaw and Farouk, no nonsense, just beating the fuck out of anybody stupid enough to get in their way. And the Hardys showing their very impressive, and it must be said in the context of the Fed, very different and standout method of offense. I mean, Jeff in particular was flinging himself all over the shop. Sent on here, moonsault there, and they were landing it and nailing it perfectly. I can't remember a single botched spot in this match. Which, considering the high-risk manoeuvres, high vince that the Hardys often employ, and people like the Acolytes, who might not be the most used wrestlers to taking that sort of offence, I thought they meshed extremely well. Hayes was in there as a warm body to effectively get murdered at the end, and so he did. Otherwise, I'm still not entirely sure why he's there with the Hardys, unless it is for them to turn on him or him on them. I'm still not entirely sure what the character derivation of the Hardys is at this point. I mean, I'd given the, the regular girly pops they get, you think baby faces, but is Hayes there to try to keep them heel? They won the titles at the start of the month in a very heelish fashion anyway. So yeah, what yet more of the blurred lines we're getting, the old shades of grey shades of grey bro happening in the Fed. But this was a really, really, really fun match. I just want to single out Farouk for a bit of praise. I mean this time last year I was giving him pelters on these programs. I thought he looked slow, it was lazy, he was definitely out of shape. I was sick to the gills of that ridiculous spot where he would stand over his opponent's head he'd lightly slap them in a couple of times mug to the crowd and then suddenly magically his opponent would rise up out of the ashes and give him an electric chair while he's praying for them to stop he's ditched that he's clearly dropped weight he's got himself in good nick and he was showing no mercy here i have no complaints with this match whatsoever except possibly for i think the hardies need to get rid of hayes one way or the other yesterday otherwise this was great I think this is the 
epitome of a match that was about as perfectly executed as you could get for what these two teams bring to a table. I've mentioned before, I'm not a huge fan of Haas on Haas, but I'm a huge fan of Haas on speed. And Bradshaw in particular is so bloody stiff. And if you're flinging in them with uh, two young kids like Matt and Jeff and Michael Hayes, who probably has pissed them off backstage a couple of times, then it's going to be... <laughs> going to be a good little match and that's what exactly what we got here um like I, I i think the hardys have kind of just been like the poster child for this ethos of booking where screw the old guys screw the old regime you know ditch lod and doa all that lot let's bring in news people let's let's mix it up and they've come from nowhere to being tag team champions and putting on a showcase match like this in almost a month and a half maybe two months at a push that's ridiculous. And if we're going to, you know, have concerns about tests for, you know, having a big main event push potentially with this Stephanie story, then that's also push and that's praise the Hardy boys for getting this opportunity and, and taking it. I mean, they were excellent in this match, particularly Jeff looked amazing. I was so impressed with what he was doing in this match. And yeah, I thought this was absolutely great. You know, for what we got, was it the most technically sounded match? No. Was it as, is it a four-star classic cruiserweight match? No. But there's, some, there's sometimes more to life than in technical class. You know, and this is absolute epitome of it. I do think Michael Hayes is is for the chop. Um, just you know, these guys need to get their own character, not be tied into the uh, mentor. Just you know mental let them down storyline let's move on to the new characters and we'll see we'll see how this goes obviously but for now i thought this was absolutely fantastic we then moved backstage for a backstage promo with dilo brown who is tired of median being european champion and wants to bring respect back to the championship in comparison to median who found the belt in shane mcmahon's bag Ugh. so yes it's our next match dilo brown taking on the european champion median for for uh hopefully regaining some prestige to the belt. Dilo takes control early on, hitting a 10-punch in the corner, a baseball slide, and a tope to Midian. Bloody hell, he's certainly in impressed mode tonight. Midian regains control of the classic whip into the steel step spot. A short arm clothesline sends Dilo spinning in the air, and a gut wrench powerbomb gets for two. Midian talks trash to the imaginary hecklers in the crowd before a netbreaker gets also two. More generic offense from the former hog farmer before a train wreck of a tornado DDT gets Dilo too. Since in the end is nigh, Dilo hits a sky high, a shaky head leg drop, and a low down to win back the European title. And more importantly, getting the belt off Midian. Roy, what did you make of this uh, quick uh, passing of the torch? I will keep this one equally quick. Uh, remember during his first interviews after winning the belt at one night only, uh, Shawn Michaels had emphasised the word coveted when talking about the European Championship. Uh, I think it was a bit of a soothsayer there because now we're getting to a situation where somebody is becoming champion by finding it in somebody else's bag. I'm glad that somebody else who now who took the belt is no longer Midian because, my God, he is fucking appalling. And D'Lo... I said on the uh, 1998 end of year award show when D'Lo got my vote, not if I would have got my vote for um, Rising Star, saying we're good. I think the real thing for him is how well he can work face. The answer so far seems to be pretty well indeed. Thank you. So there you go. Adam, your thoughts on this match? Um, 
Million has a really good looking sleeper. <laughs> I would give him more praise, but I don't have any more in my notes. Uh, so the whole thing's about trying to give some respect to the European title, which is ridiculous because uh, no one in the WWF has ever shown that belt any respect, with the exception of British Bulldog. Um, I just remember Michael's run with it at the end of 1997 and the way he lost that belt uh, says it all. Uh, one thing that made me laugh was how... Uh, I think it was JR said on commentary that a lot of great athletes have held the European uh, title. And I was just thinking the last champion was Shane, who in fairness is a good athlete, but uh, it's not the met it's not the sort of metric you want to really judge your champions by. Um, I mean, the match was fine. It may be the best median match we're ever going to get. <laughs> Oh god! I think they call that a water spit moment on my end. Here, so. <laughs> Carry on if you can. Can you name me a better Midian match? Well, no, that is true. I've, you've got me on that one, but um, I think we all know why. But yeah, I mean, Dennis Knight is a big lad, but he's and he's apparently he's really well liked backstage, which is why they they sort of keep him around. But yeah, he's. He's a lower carder at best, and yeah, this is basically the the best that he could hope for. Um, Delo, he deserves better than this, and hopefully he's going to sort of move on from there. The next night in Raw, he was mixing out with Jarrett, who I feel is is more the sort of caliber of wrestler that Delo should be sort of in there with, because I, I feel that they could do something a lot better than what's produced tonight. Um, so, yeah, as long as as long as long this is the last time Midian is is involved with any sort of title, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy that this match happened, just to get the belt away from him. We can only hope. We can only hope. Just to sum up what most people think about Midian, Dealer Brown starts this match off hot. The crowd are into it. Midian takes control. They die. Dealer goes, oh, crap, I need to finish this match quickly. Puts his, puts his three moves of doom into, into quick sequential order and gets the hell out of there. Thank you, Dilo. If you if we can return to, this, to the Dilo Brown X-Pac series for the European title last year, that would be great. As long as this get, we just keep the belt away from the Soothsayer Midian, that would be fantastic. Our next match is Al Snow for the, against the Big Boss Man for the Hardcore title. Snow cuts a promo backstage claiming the screaming from head won't stop. And he genuinely looks like he hasn't slept in days, which is pointed out by JR. Just for some context, Prince Albert randomly spiked head with a railroad spike and head screaming is now all in Al Snow's head. Again, really good, intriguing mid-card storyline. Good work. Bossman says he will put Snow out of his misery, but not before he hurts him first and starts out by giving some nightstick shots to the wounded head. Snow reels in pain, but this character development seems to be lost on this kind of crowd, who only pop when Snow dives at the boss man to start the match. We then get our typical brawl around the backstage area, with both men standing and trading random weapon shots. The only, more, only notable spot from my end was boss man trying to run Snow up against the garbage door with a golf cart, but couldn't get the bloody thing started, so they just <laughs> wandered off somewhere else. Uh, things run up a bit with boss man wrapping a belt around Snow's neck and tossing him into the narrow corridor walls. You can hear the crowd pop and the guys head outside as Bossman bulldogs Snow onto the pavement for a two. 
After berating Bossman for not doing what he asked, Bossman obliges him by hitting him with a brick and a bottle. He then handcuffs Snow to a metal fence and wears him out with a baton and getting a vertical pin for the free. Bossman is your new hardcore champion and Snow can be seen smiling with glee up against the fence, assuming the voices have stopped in his head. Uh, Adam, it was a typical hardcore brawl, but there was some good storyline context to this match, which maybe maybe brought up a level or two. Um, yeah, I like some of the WWF hardcore matches. This one I I've enjoyed more than some of the others I've seen. Um, they kept a lot of a lot of the brawling stuff I see the WWF do is just one guy grabbing the other around the back of their heads, and I'll probably get more into this in in the Rocks match because he's terrible for this, and just sort of walking away and walking them in a direction. These two actually. See, actually did seem to be fighting the whole time um it's i mean it's an odd situation with with al because it's it's kind of did he want to win the match or not because the whole thing of boss man beating uh the head to make al's head hurt it was i i i do like al snow um i'm and i'm just wondering if if he's in the right place for this i know I didn't see a lot of his ECW stuff, but from what I understand, it was received a lot, a lot better. Um, again, going back to what I was saying earlier about whether Vince gets what you're talking about, whether Vince gets your character or not, I'm not sure the WWF get Al Snow as well as, um, as well. Oh, yeah, I'm just not sure they get him that well. Uh, the finish was certainly unique. Um, you know, and clubbing Al in, a, in the face with a brick certainly looked brutal. Um, anyone who watched Michinoku Pro this month will know uh, what brutal really can look like. Um, if, if no one knows what I'm uh, look, talking about, hunt down uh, your local tape trader, ask for the great Suzuki versus the dirt bike kid. That is just... Let's just put it this way. I don't care if the dirt bike kicked and watching him get kicked full uh, force by the great Suzuki was just, mm. oh, yeah. But yeah, this this match was great. It was entertaining. Um, it's it's not a title that's supposed to be taken that seriously. So some of the spots outside were kind of like, that does seem to be a little edgy for for what is essentially a comedy title or at least treated like one, whether it's supposed to be or not is another matter. Um, but yeah, no, I, I have no real issue with this match. Um, yeah. Roy. We really need to start doing Michinoku pro as our fourth volume each month now, don't we? Okay. The dirt bike kid. Well, well, one is number six. Okay. So I was watching this while well, watching this entire show with the good lady. And I will provide you some of her commentary for this particular match. Uh, so Al grabs, I think it was Al, grabs a box of paper and throws it as boss man. And she replies not unreasonably to say, well, I don't see how that would hurt anybody. And then two minutes later, just before we were about to spill outside, she then says, and I quote, <laughs> I guess, this is just like an S&M porn film, isn't it? <laughs> and I should add, I should add, that was, of course, four minutes before we got the final shot of Al Snow, before we faded to black away from the match. If you saw it, you know what I will mean. And maybe she was onto something after all. 
God's sake, it's a family show, man. (laughs) As she was saying this, and our two cats were listening as well, I tell you. I had to cover their ears straight away. So then, but this match, I'll try an alternative view coming up to this particular one. Um, This felt, for me, fairly different to the other hardcore matches we see every single week because of Al Snow. He is really living this particular gimmick, isn't he? And when they say he hasn't slept for a few days, I tell you what, I bloody believe them. His character is effectively Gibby Haynes from the Butthole Surfers. Not somebody you see as a bit of an, um, uh, a character totem icon in many forms of pro wrestling, certainly not in the big two. And I think as, as Adam has hinted at there, the WWF probably isn't the right place for that sort of character. There are so many potential layers to Al Snow. And he's, Week after week, he's living out some sort of psychodrama. He's demanding to be hurt. And somebody sticks a spike through head and he feels it. Now, it's certainly as far as the WWF is concerned, it's almost too much to give the required time to for it to really mean something. And that is not Al Snow's fault. He is going all in with this. And he personally deserves a lot of props for effectively what I can glean from what I've been able to read, he has got total freedom over his character, maybe because no fucker else understands it, so why even try and stand in his way? Let him go ahead and do it. But, it's hardcore title, it's lower mid-card, it's four or five minutes on TV at best, just not enough time for explaining it. You're not going to get much further than Jerry saying, he's not all there, JR. That's the extent you're going to get, which is a shame, but he's not stopping at it, and this was, it felt particularly, I'm going to use the word, hardcore. Yes, it was a plant, of course, but you're even going into a situation where you're trying to cross the road and there's a car stopping just in front. That's it's novel. And the ending was extremely novel. There are novels to be written about Al Snow, I think. But um, uh, I don't think any of the WWF writers, other people to from put pen to paper. Yeah, um, I will leave it up to our viewers or the viewers of the show and our listeners to this. to think who is actually right myself or the good lady about this particular um, uh, this particular match and its comparisons. I've got nothing to compare it to. Honest. I completely agree with everything you just said about Al Snow. He is probably the best undercard character the WWF have at the minute. Who's so many layers to this guy. Um, and he's bringing intrigue and interest to a title belt that whilst it was generic WF fun, didn't have much storyline to it. It was just, this guy wants to beat the piss out of this bike, and they want to go outside and do it all again. This guy has made me care about the hardcore title, and I didn't think that was possible. And Boss Man is arguably the perfect person to him for feud with, because he's just a sadist who prefers, who likes beating people up. And he's got the tools to do it. So, yeah, this match, and again, storyline-wise, made so much sense. It made a lot of sense and had credence to it, which is more I can say for the hardcore title in the last seven or eight months. But there was, I think we got a little bit too extreme in some places. Yeah, I think a bottle and a brick to the head. Yeah, that's a lot. Isn't it? Would, you know, if this was, you know, proper shoot, that would put someone in a hospital and someone is kicking out of that, you know, for a two count and it's for a near fall. That got a little bit too extreme here we're not in philadelphia here where the wwf which is a pg-13 show not a r-rated product so far so i think that we could be in dangerous territory for getting too far into the extreme side of things with these two wrestlers um 
but that's you know something to worry about for down the line the match itself again as i said it was a little bit too hardcore title-ish at the start of it to not completely be made up for by the intrigue of al snow's character but again it made me care about the hardcore title which is something that we have not done all year so again i'll give this a thumbs up and the fourth title change of the night mm-hmm. end of an era carries a second meaning apparently even for the undercard interesting stuff there as well although jeff jarrett kind of doesn't really count i'm not to say that up next is the rematch we've all been waiting for it's the big show versus kane with hardcore holly as the special guest referee Big Show Military Plus slams Kane straight over the top rope to start off, and Kane lands not very safely at all on the outside. Spoiler alert, that's the best spot of the match. As the rest of it, it's just they head straight into the corners and work typical big man stuff with Holly continually stepping in and throwing his authority in the face of the two big men. He even tells Big Show he should do a Russian leg sweep, who then obliges. After about five minutes of generic action, Kane hits his flying clothesline from the top, but Holly chop blocks the big red machine's leg, as he sets up show for the choke Sam. Big Show hits the showstopper and Holly counts fast for the free count. Post-match, X-Pac runs down and spin kicks Holly's head off, but is quickly followed by The Undertaker, who chokes Sam's pack. Taker and Show join forces to pulverize Kane as payback for the last week, as they leave the, tag to, to, the two tag team passes lying in a heap on the ring. Rory, what did you make of that rematch of the century and the I post-match shenanigans? Indeed. And both, I'm going to talk about both here. Taking a leaf out of your book from last month, Mr. Walling, it's rubbish. Gimmick infringement, mate. Uh, Mr. Joyce, what did you think of that? Hello? You there, Adam? He's gone. Uh, I'll put the microphone on, mightn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I can see why you'd want to mute it, but um, uh, yes, it would. Yes, it would. Right, shall I queue up again, mate? Yeah, go again. Uh, Mr. Joyce, what did you think of that? It's kind of like being kicked in the nuts, but it's possible <laughs> because the previous time you were kicked in the nuts, the guy was wearing steel toe caps. <laughs> I mean, you, you said about the big spot to the outside with the press slam being one of the best bits of the match. And I actually have in my notes, this match uh, started to suck the minute they got back in the ring. It, it was notably better than King of the Ring, but there's not much it could do to be worse than their match at King of the Ring, really, is it? Uh, you know, in six months, we've had a guest re- special guest referee on all on all the pay-per-views and if they're continuing this trend out of all the matches on this show why did it have to be this match that needed a special guest referee were they really hoping that bob holly was gonna bring a little something to actually make this match more palatable because i don't think he other than the finish he didn't really add that much to it i don't think um yeah it's not it was not a great match it was never going to be a great match um and the, the most positive thing I can uh, say is to reiterate, it was considerable. It was a marked improvement on the on the previous attempt. Fine praise indeed. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's said about this much the better, including Hardcore Holly, who wins the prize of the most inexplicable gimmick I've ever seen so far in this company. Just, 
uh, the, the man is just talentless, honestly. This gimmick is terrible. I hate hardcore Holly so much. Anyway, as Undertaker makes his way back through gorilla position, Austin is lying in wait and assaults a dead man. The crowd erupts when they spot blood on the forehead of the Undertaker. As Jim Ross says, the sides are now even. Up next is Ken Shamrock versus the lethal weapon Steve Blackman in an Iron Circle match. If you're wondering what an Iron Circle match is, it's just a parking lot brawl before I had the name. Oh, it's a big circle of cars with guests, the jobbers, standing like heat wrestlers on the standing on the hoods and honking the horns. Um, Shamrock and Blackman enter in street clothes and are surrounded by cars with various low equipment cars, jobbers banging on the cars and honking horns. Including Midian, who at least knows his place after losing tonight and got changed for this match very quickly after that uh, seven-minute excursion earlier in the night. Uh, Straight-up martial arts brawling begins with the pair being thrown and rammed onto the roofs and hoods of the circle of cars. Both men break a couple of the windows with stomps and savat kicks. Blackman finds a chain and a tire on and tries to nail Shamrock in the head, but the former UFC man is able to dodge them. Shamrock gets a hold of the chain, wraps it around his fists, and after punching out Blackman, he chokes him out. The bell is rung in just after four minutes, and Shamrock is declared the winner. It was a very short and sweet match there. Uh, Adam, what did you think of this unique matchup? They didn't, and that, they didn't explain the rules very well. They just said, well, whoever leaves the circle is the winner. And it's a case of, you know, when they were sort of brawling between the cars, technically, they both left the circle during that point. Um, as a match, it was, yeah, as a, as a brawl, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't really anything uh the trouble with this sort of match when you have uh, the main event being the main event is shamrock was pounding the finish was basically shamrock pounding on, on blackman with that chain and in any other circumstance uh if blackman would have been bloodied because you know he's getting obliterated by a guy punching him with a chain wrapped around his fist but on this show they couldn't really do that because they had a first blood main event where which both of the guys have been seen to bleed already so i feel it kind of took any impact this match had by not allowing them to be out of bleed um yeah it's it's really it it wasn't an awful match but it's not something i'd I'd recommend to anyone to watch because it's just there and yeah, the lack of blood in the finish really kind of took me out of it. Yeah, this match wasn't much, but it also wasn't the hardcore invitational junkyard battle royal type thing I had to endure on the WCW volume which is what I feared when I first saw the setup here. It was three and a half minutes of Shamrock and Blackman walking around cars in very a very, very poorly lit area, which just ended when somebody felt like it, when the plug was pulled after three and a half minutes because nobody had the gumption or the planning ability to go much further with it. And that's all it was. It was the nucleus slash germ of a good idea, but it wasn't remotely developed enough. They were sort of doing their working on the pay-per-view here rather than doing it in the back. And there's not a whole lot to say about the match, but the guess the, uh, I said you talked about the heat jobbers there sat around on the cars down. Do you see some of the names that in addition to luminaries, such as Viscera and Droz, uh, Sergeant Slaughter made an appearance, 
uh, Steve Lombardi managed to get himself on pay-per-view. I'm not going to make the joke. And we'd never really got to see him, see his face. But you know who was also there? Kurt Angle, no less. Uh, former freestyle gold medalist at the uh, Atlanta Olympics who signed a developmental deal with the Federation ooh, last September now, I think. He did participate in a brief skit with Tiger Ali Singh on Heat back in March. And apparently we will be seeing him in the ring uh, very, very shortly. He went unnamed, but um, probably something to note from this match. Ooh, Especially yeah. considering I can see him feuding with at least one of these possible oppo- one of the um, two opponents in this match. Yep. Yeah, he did, he did a dark match uh, at King of the Ring against Sean Stasiak, which he lost in... <laughs> he's gonna lose because he's not a name not that Stasiak is you know he's the only thing Stasiak's notable for is uh being son of someone who held the title for five days but yeah no he angle has had uh matches in front of people well, I've not heard any reports on how those matches have gone. Losing to Sean Stasiak. Little acorns, little acorns. Hmm. There's another joke in there anyway. It's amazing how we had a a match in, in a circle of cars, and yet the most interesting thing we can talk about is Kurt Angle. <laughs> the, the, the back of Kurt being... Angle's head, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, this 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 match uh, uh, I thought was kind of shite, to be honest with you. Um, uh, this is, as you mentioned there, the a concept of a good idea but it's just it's just one of those things where you actually try to actually act it out it's just not workable and Ken Shamrock and Steve Blackman I think are not nimble enough to make the stuff make that they were trying to do look good I mean we had one Savat kick that went through the car windshield that was kind of cool but it was too small it was too um short to get good and it was too hokey and badly lit to keep my interest in it honestly okay. i was playing guess the voice just to work out who was cheering for which wrestler you know i could hear sergeant sort of randomly shouting for come on blackman knock him out and at one point um yeah it's just it's just too it's too short to to get anything done here and ken shamrock has been i don't know kind of just been we, we've been talking about the the slow descent from shamrock as this you know really interesting main event potential player to just being an, a dude and this felt like the end of it i mean just the image of of him doing his traditional scream in a big jumper with horns blaring and if it just just it should be an iconic image but it's nothing it just felt absolutely worthless this match and that image and that moment the perfect encapsulation of where shamrock has fallen so far as a character and why steve blackman is just I don't know, just not there, just not there to get him back to a level where you can feud with someone and win the feud and get back to a level to feud with someone like, I don't know, Chris Jericho or someone like Billy Gunn. Just not there for Shamrock at the minute. And this match is, yeah, did not work on a on a conceptual level, did not work on a acting out level and did not work in actually getting the wrestlers back over. So, yeah, big first first dud of the night for Mayan anyway. Next is the battle for the image rights of DX, a.k.a. Roy's favourite gimmick match ever. As uh, Road Dog and X-Pac, the real DX, take on Billy Gunn, the 1999 King of the Ring, and China, a.k.a. Corporate DX, as they're known throughout my notes for this match. Uh, the heels come out to DX's theme, which results in a one-second pop from the crowd before they realise who's coming out. 
And the road dog can't really get the crowd hot either because it's a different spiel to what they normally know. So they don't know the words and they can't chant along. So it's not the best start to the match. Uh, China wins the early exchanges with some shoulder blocks and then manages to escape Road Dog's pump panel slam attempt to bring Billy Gunn into the ring. The crowd duly respond with the most appropriate chant for Mr. Ass, if you know what I mean. Corporate DX take control of a splash into the corner and a clothesline for our classic Road Dog taking a beating portion of the match. Gunn hits a jackhammer, on whose orders I wonder, but is caught with a big boot after a diving nothing allowing Road Dog to tag in X-Pac. He hits a series of stiff-looking spinning heel kicks to the corporate DX. However, Gunn catches him with a stun gun to reset. As China puts a rest hold on X-Pac, we get another couple of awkward mentions from about her gender from the commentary team, which I don't really want to discuss in this portion of the match. And we get a referee missing the tag for the faces, allowing the blind tag for the heel spot, which I hope dies out really, really quickly because I hate it so much. Gunn slams X-Pac down with a giant pass slam for two. China tags back in, but her handspring elbow is countered into a clothesline. The outlaws are tagged back in as Dog wails away on gun before hitting shake, rattle and roll to China as the crowd go wild. They come unglued again as X-Pac scores with a Bronco Buster to China again. Gun misses a stinger splash into the corner and Road Dog is there to hit the pump handle slam for the one, two, three. Oh, okay, fair enough. Road Dog just pinned a nice 99 king of the ring, cleaning the whistle in a tag match. Okay, interesting quote. So Road Dog and X-Pac are now officially DX and we'll have to work out a way for Billy Gunn to get over yet again. Uh, Rory, I'll save you the uh, trouble of talking about this gimmick just for a few more minutes. As uh, Adam, fire away. What did you think of this uh, tag match? Uh, well, I know what Rory's going to say about the gimmick and I don't know if the crowd were into the gimmick, but they're certainly into the four people in the ring so they've got that going for them at least um china strikes are fucking rotten. um they just just don't look good and every time she gets cut off like uh when she did that handspring elbow and x-pack cut her off with the with the clothesline she that just looked so so telegraphed um and we didn't mention it when we did uh, the Big Show Kane match, but X-Pac did do a run-in at the end of that match, uh, followed by The Undertaker coming out and giving him a choke slam. And it was mentioned on on commentary that he may have a concussion. I, do we know if that was legit by any chance? It's just I noticed the X-Pac waited a long time before he got tagged in and, a lot the, and he did not bump around a lot like he normally would in this sort of matches. Do we know if that concussion was legit or is that? Uh, not sure, but uh, it's certainly possible. It's a good good shout. X-Pac always seems to work hurt in every single pay-per-view, so <laughs> it, it wouldn't yes. be surprising, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it does seem odd that Billy Gunn, the guy who is feuding with The Rock at the minute, just got beat by the Road Dog. It's not... I mean, let's be honest, after that promo, the rock cut against him last month, it's not like he has any credibility anyway. Um, which I'll come, which I will probably be coming to very, very shortly. But it does seem odd that they're, they're sort of pushing this, this guy in a feud with the rock. He's a king of the ring. He's feuding with the rock and he's losing to the road dog cleanly in a tag match. 
it's they do not seem to be building this guy very well um is there anything i, I noticed uh no they mentioned the, i mean this whole feud's about where the money from the dx merchandise is going and jr mentioned uh hey you know sure michaels hasn't hasn't had a mention of this and dx was his idea right in my notes here i've just put what about the estate of Rick Road? Surely he, he deserves some DX. <laughs> oh. oh dear. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 as a tag match, it was it was a fine tag match, other than uh, some of the stuff China was throwing. But even then, um, some of the 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 stuff she did hit that wasn't just a st- that wasn't just the standing strikes looked fine. Um, Storyline was there. The, the crowd were into it. They got the winner they wanted. Um, it just they just don't seem to know how they want to go forward with with Billy Gunn. Um, do they want to try and push him as an as a upper card heel, or is he just a tag guy who's filling a spot? They don't. They seem to be wanting to push him as an upper card heel, but they seem to be doing it where he's in the role of the hot tag guy it's that just doesn't make any amount of sense to me but then again when does uh wwf booking make any sense lately bro uh never is the answer to your question there uh right rory let yeah, loose yeah. mr ass why is he called mr ass my girlfriend asked me and i still don't have an answer one of those questions you just can't answer you don't even really want to give an answer let's talk about something vaguely positive i thought china looked fine in this match actually you know occasional jibe from the commentary team aside which you've almost got to expect these days sadly i think it's really quite refreshing how we just accept that she's involved in these matches that she hits moves she takes moves people sell for her and nobody really bats an eyelid i I think that's really great. There's not a whole lot in the World Wrestling Federation which you could classify as progressive these days, but that is one of those rare chinks of light, so I'm very happy to see that. I think she holds her own in there. Some of the stuff does look a bit awkward. I wouldn't argue with Adam on that point, but she's definitely trying, and she is, again, not... It would be very easy to say she's just being awarded these roles for tokenism. A, I, I mean, I don't for one minute think she is, but she's doing everything she can to dispel even the merest rumours people might incorrectly in my view have in their mind uh, the finish was very emphatic a little out of nowhere and it involved Billy Gunn taking a pinfall and like him or not and you know my thoughts on that one if you're a long time listener what are they doing he's king of the ring that should be the springboard to see. He, sh- he shouldn't even be in the- well, nobody should be in the fucking DX image rights queue for god's sake but he should be going over mid card heels for the next couple of months and then beating a fairly big name at SummerSlam if you really want to make this push mean something but he's there he's Triple H's lackey if anything he's below China in the pecking order as well he's taking a job in this match he's eating the L in tag matches on Raw and if he's going to be feuding with The Rock he's just going to fucking kill him right now nobody in their right mind or even in their wrong one buys him as even the remotest threat to The Rock at this point so they are getting it all wrong and did I mention how much I hate the DX image rights thing did I mention that? Once or twice. Once I, could or twice. Go, I, I could go on all night, but uh, for the sake of everybody's sanity, I'll stop there. Yep. Can't add much more to it. What you guys said there, Billy Gunn taking the pin is is weird. 
Um, the storyline was rubbish, probably the weakest storyline currently going in the company. Uh, the tag match itself, from a just pure you know work perspective, was just fine. You know, it was you know classic template mode there with Rodor taking the beating, the next part taking a beating, and a quick babyface win. There's there's fine in that, but as we've said, the uh, the booking department of the uh, of the bit behind it was a little bit more questionable. We move on to our semi-main event. It's The Rock versus Triple H in a fully loaded strap match, which basically means that the strap match is completely taken out the window. No tucking to the four corners. The strap is just there in a no DQ, falls count anywhere, attitude era brawl. Before the match, we were shown two promo segments, one from Triple H, one from The Rock. Triple H on the Sunday Night Heat sit-down interview with Jim Ross, basically shooted on his mistreatment after the curtain call and how he resents the company for his mistreatment, in his own words. And in his own words, I am a student of the game. I am the fucking game. Interesting catchphrase to catch on to there. And as he used a couple of times after this pay-per-view, I think that's going to stick. When he comes out, The Rock is uh, having a backstage promo with Michael Cole. He runs down Rudy Poo friends of Triple H and says the only reason he was kept back for three years was because he absolutely sucks. <laughs> the Rock has just been, this is a side note, but The Rock has been absolutely on a tear with his promos this month. Oh. If you can go and watch oh. them, watch them back now. They are so good. And it's even, it's, I don't know what he's done in the last month, but his promos just seem to have taken on another level. And he was already good slash excellent to begin with. Whew, go and watch him. I think this guy's on the fire right now. But anyway, we have a match to get to. The Rock starts hot with his lovely right hands of his before pulling Triple H into the ring post with the strap. He then quickly grabs a quick photo using a member of the audience's camera. What is it with The Rock and great spots of cameras in 1999? Both men now have the strap attached and we get some announced table bumps. Back in the ring, Rock is having trouble keeping his footing with the strap, unfortunately, getting tangled in his feet a couple of times as Helmsley takes control. They head back outside and Rock rips Triple H into steps before we head into the crowd. Usual stuff from these two before Triple H pulls Rock into a guardrail with the strap. The Rock takes him a couple of moments to feel the electricity of the crowd, but Triple H takes back control by whipping Rock into the entrance way set before receiving a couple of vicious whips. About time, because that's about 10 minutes into the match, and that's the first time the strap actually being used as a weapon. Rock gets a two on the outside with a suplex on the entranceway. Helmsley begins to choke out the Rock on the outside before both men are back into the ring. He then hits a high knee as the crowd boo at the arrival of China. The referee is distracted for some reason, even though this is a no DQ match, as the Rock hits a rock bottom for the visual pin. Another choking spot now with Helmsley sitting on the top rope and pulling up on the Rock's throat. Rock managed to rally after about a minute or so and to quote JR, jerks Triple H off the top rope. I'm not the only one using W innuendos for apparently so. Uh, Samoan Drop gets two, but Triple H throws Rock outside and then just decides to take the strap off for some reason. For such a blatant disregard of the rules, Rock gives Triple H a damn good whipping with the strap. <laughs> he then hits a great snap DDT for a very close two. China distracts the referee again, allowing Billy Gunn to run in with a rounder's bat for another near fall. Again, it's no DQ, why are we bothering with the distractions? Rock rallies and sets up a people's elbow, which he hits, but of course Billy Gunn is there to pull him off the pin. Rock catches Gunn with a rock bottom, but walks right into a pedigree for the free. Triple H wins and he will face the WWF champion at SummerSlam. Roy, what did you make of this interesting take on a strap match? Well, it's 
game of two halves, isn't it? I was delighted, fucking delighted that this was not a drag your opponent to four corners strap match. I motherfucking hate those. I thought it was quite amusing that Savio Vega, the doyen of those particular matches, was on commentary for our, our friends uh, in Spanish language countries, which I, I thought that was rather amusing. Might have been somebody's idea of a rib there, especially as we saw a lot of him during this match. But on the Someone other hand, a raven to Bob. Tell him that Savio Vegas returned to his screen. He'll be delighted. Uh, he'll be back next month, no doubt about it. He'll, be, he'll probably just completely re-edit this show for us. Um, gosh, uncontrollably. But on the other hand, you've got them not really using the strap as a weapon at all. And as you say, if somebody could just take it off midway through the match, then the question, what is the point, rears its head again, as it does on at least one occasion every time we do one of these shows. But I thought the match for what it was was really very good indeed. You could turn around and say, so it should be. I feel like I've seen these two wrestle a hundred times over the last two and a half years. That's because I pretty much have. So they can work a basic main event style. Yes, semi-main, but main event style, 15-minute brawling match built around big boy moves, as Chris Lacey would say, and do it fairly competently, really competently with no real glaring errors. And they can hit the three and a quarter, three and a half star range without too much effort at all. And they did do that here. That's all they really needed to do, which is probably just as well. But they did get there. Two points here. Rock losing. It was another banana skin finish. We've had a couple of those today already. Okay, I'm okay with him losing. I don't think we should be seeing Rock at SummerSlam for the title yet. However, I should say the original plan we found out this month reading through the sheets, is that we were going to get Rock versus Austin at SummerSlam. That was mooted up until roundabout WrestleMania time until they obviously went in a different direction and pulled The Undertaker into contention. Whether or not Rock was still going to, if that was the plan they went with, turn face in May or uh, April or May and then face Austin face-face at SummerSlam, I guess we'll never know. But they've gone with Helmsley. Is he number one contender material? (laughs) He would certainly tell you he is in a guarded and unguarded moment. Uh, I don't know. Main event of SummerSlam against Steve Austin. I don't think he's there yet. A B pay-per-view, if it was that, perhaps. But I think it's still probably three or four months too early for him. But we'll see when we get there. He most certainly does, pun intended, talk a good game. But the match to get there with was the right side of fine. It wasn't particularly spectacular. Nothing out of the blue here either. You could probably sit down and pen this match from start to finish in your sleep. But um, as we say so often with this kind of match, it did what they wanted it to. Your appreciation will will hang in the balance based purely and solely on whether it did what you wanted it to. Adam. Um, did anyone actually see the promo that Triple H did on, on Heat uh, just before this? Yes. It was, I've seen a lot of people sort of say, you know, it's a really good promo, which um, which it was a good promo. Unfortunately, it was a shoot promo. So if you do a, if you do a good shoot promo, that's not a sign you, you're a good promo guy. It's a sign you can tell the truth really fucking well which, <laughs> yeah good point which you know is just a sign you're a person 
I'm, you know, if, if Triple H could deliver a, a worked promo like that, I'd, I'd have more fun. The thing is, I, I do like Helmsley as a talent, but I've yet to see anything that really, really screams main event. Uh, it was it was great as the leader of DX. I, th- I thought he did some great stuff there, but nothing that made me scream, yeah, this is the guy I want as the number one contender. Um, you realize this is this time last year, uh, me, Rory, I can't remember, I can't think who the other two on the on the panel were. We were doing uh, uh, uh Chris and Pete were on us, uh, one with us on that one, a four man We were doing, yeah, fully loaded last year, and it was Triple H versus The Rock. Then it's it's weird to think just how how far they've they've come in that year. Um, the Rock's turned face twice, uh, and Triple H, he, he's sort of kind of gone out on his own, he, and he does look more like a main eventer than he did this time last year. I'll give him that. Uh, but I, his matches, they don't sort of draw me in as you'd want a main event to draw you in. Uh, they did a cage match a couple of weeks before this on Monday Night Raw, which just made me angry. I... You know, it it didn't really seem to have a major build other than Helmsley had cost Rock the the title a couple of weeks before. Uh, but the cage is supposed to be a feud ender. I hate the fact the WWF cages all have the escape the cage rule anyway, and the fact that at one point both people were outside the cage during the match. Not only did the match not end, but when the referee was revived. The Rock got straight back into the cage instead of just staying outside winning the match. And of course, they went up to the top of the cage. Somehow, the Rock, despite having a massive head start, the Rock still managed to catch up with Triple H at the top of the cage. And when they fought the top of the cage, Triple H knocked the Rock out and then walked back into the ring. And and then and at that point, I was like, "Well, you deserve to lose this." He did lose it, and I just and I was just like, "I don't want to watch." anymore i don't want to have to watch any more of this until which i didn't until last week when i realized oh wait this this recording is tonight so yeah their previous match made me quite angry so this one was actually quite quite refreshing because i actually did enjoy the match um they, they did have uh it wasn't anything sort of spectacular blow away but it it wasn't as it wasn't as drawn out as the one from the year before the the strap stipulation could have been played up to a lot more. Um, I do like the fact that it was false count anywhere. It, some of, it's very hard to have a decent strap match when you're when you're doing the touch four corners thing. Although I know whoever was doing it on the podcast at the time may not agree with me, but Steve Austin did manage to get a very underrated match out of Savio Vega using that stipulation, but has proven a few months later, late, uh, Bradshaw couldn't. So it is one of those traits that only certain wrestlers can do. So I'm glad they just did away with it for this one, uh, rather than risk having two guys who are not known for this style of match, having to try and work with that. Uh, Helmsley taking the strap off towards the end of the match, I I have no problem with the fact he did it. I have issues with the fact the referee didn't do anything about it, though. Uh, 
the whole as someone who has done referee work you want you can't make you can't appear weak because you're supposed to represent law and order of the promotion i know in 1999 especially in the wwf that doesn't hold as strong as it might have done once but you still need to give the air that you have that authority and by letting triple h not only take the strap off but walk away from the rock to go around the other side of the ring to grab the chair it does kind of kill that credibility it kind of kills your credibility a bit and the way that ref bumps are used so freely in this day and age you need to try and save up what little credibility you can so i'm i think they've got some great refs in in the fed but this one booking decision was just ridiculous and the fact that you know you know breaks in the actions following that where the ref could have just turned around and said get that back on your wrist and he didn't even think to pick the strap up just it it did take me out of it quite badly uh they get a lot of crowd pooling and one issue i've i think i've mentioned it on this on the pod before one one of my issues with the rocks crowd brawling is a lot of it is he will just grab the opponent by the back of the head and walk them halfway up the arm he didn't they didn't do that this time and i was really proud of him because <laughs> it, there was actually you know it looked like there was actually a reason for them to be going through the crowd as opposed to their, them just going oh wait this next spot's over there and it and it was doing really well really well until they came close to the entrance way and then he was like ah yeah next spot's over there and it was like ah oh, you killed it you're doing so well but he is getting better i'll give him that it wasn't like the ridiculous amount of times the ridiculous amount of time i've seen him do it like wrestlemania this year was he was really bad for that uh him and austin and every time he does that and someone uh, sort of drops in with a back suplex I'm like it's the only way that I was going to save that spot um, Billy Gunn has no credibility I've I said it in the last match I'll say it in this one that rock he took the rock bottom and it's a case of well th- this feud's pretty much done they're going to have a match and if, if he wins no one's going to buy it um, I mentioned it earlier I mentioned it again the promo against the God promo on Sunday Night Heat a few weeks ago. It's uh, like Dan said, it, uh, Rock's promos this month have been brilliant, but the God promo particularly, go out of your way to see that one. It is magnificent on the level of it's really entertaining. On the other side, he really fucking buries Billy Gunn there, and there really is no comeback with Billy Gunn, especially having been beaten by Rock. Uh, by by Roadog in the previous match and getting taken out by Rock just here. Um, Helsley is a main eventer in SummerSlam. I don't actually have as big an issue with this as, as Rory. Um, SummerSlam is one of the big four events. Used to be big five, but again, I saw King of the Ring this year, so it's gone back down to four. Um, SummerSlam will sell a lot of its buys on the fact it is SummerSlam, it is the big events. So you can take a chance of putting a young up-and-comer in the title match if it's the right right guy. I think Helmsley, if he can channel 
if he can channel his energy that he put into the shoot promo into his actual promos, I figure I feel he could do something. I feel he could draw some interest in himself. I don't think he's ready for a big title run just yet, but I feel him being in this title match could make him more credible to have that title run somewhere down the line and somewhere possibly within the next six to nine months. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, so other than my issue, I mean, the, like I said, the match was fine. It was, it was nothing classic, but it was, it was one of the stronger matches on the show. It's just I had so many little bits in it irritated me. Um, I, one thing I will say though, uh, the choke spot where uh, Helmsley would, had the rock wrapped up and he was sitting on the turnbuckle, just pulling up. I just, I, I thought that was fantastic. I know it's not usually, it's not the sort of realism that Fed usually go for, but when Helmsley does realism in his matches, he does it really well. It's just a shame that some of the stuff he puts around it is quite slow and plodding in a way that is just seemingly buying time for the next really good looking realistic realistic spot um yeah that that's all i have to say about that one adam joyce chief referee scout for the next uh, <laughs> round of talent um yeah this match was very good by the virtue of the fact it wasn't a traditional strap match which i think by all accounts we've shat on for the majority of the time on this podcast and I'll give the Federation good credit for actually realising that that gimmick is terrible and actually, yeah, use, changing it up a little bit. Um, because The Rock can always crowd brawl. Effectively, he's a really good brawler, as we've discussed in the show. And I think this was a really good indication that Triple H's um, ascent into main event status is going to work with this style too. I mean, he's had that ladder match, obviously, which some people love, some people just like, but it's not the same really as brawling so this was a good indication that he's going to fit right into that style of main event when he's obviously facing austin which is a good sign and i don't know what it is but this month i thought something just clicked with him and i got it with him finally that he could be a main event talent yes the his body shape has drastically shifted from what it was even when he turned heel wrestlemania but at the end of the day Am I going to say he's got more of a main event look now than he did four months later? Yes. And does that make it good? Probably yes, too, unfortunately. So um, so the fact that he's winning this here and main event in SummerSlam is, uh, yeah, I, I'm on board with it. I mean, who else is there? That's the other question. I mean, good God, not Undertaker again, especially after this match. Um, who's, the other, who's the other heel that we can push? The big show is nowhere near. We're not going to turn Kane back again. Um who else is there for Austin to face? And I think this month I finally buy Triple H as a main eventer. Um, and unfortunately, there's another no point as well is that with this month on month booking that WWF seems to be doing, and this is a big, big show, and it's a, but it's a B show. This is, it's inferior. If this was 1989, not 1999, this would be safe for SummerSlam. But it's not, it's fully loaded. So in this day and age, is the fact that this is main events in SummerSlam and not a B-show really matter? That's another question to ask. Maybe we can discuss that next month. But Triple H versus Austin is what we're getting next month. 
and judged on the basis of this match and the evolution of Triple H's character and his in-ring performance, I'm much more on board with this than I was maybe two or three months ago. Let's put it that way. Um, and yeah, there's another big main event loss for The Rock. It's not really been talked about, but he's now lost quite a lot of his big matches against Austin, against Taker, and now against Triple H. Thankfully, he's going to face Billy Gunn next month by the counts, and he really, really should win that match, even though Billy Gunn should be winning it on paper. He was eviscerated by The Rock on Sunday Night Heat, and uh, The Rock can easily win, unfortunately. And in the grand scheme of things, The Rock's the guy you want to put a rocket strap behind rather than Billy Gunn. So, yeah. Let's move on to our main event, shall we? And uh, it's a pretty big one, let's put it that way. The end of an era match. Just to recap the stipulations. If Vince McMahon loses the... uh... So just to recap the stipulations. If uh, Austin wins, then Vince McMahon is gone forever. If Undertaker wins the WF title, Steve Austin can never challenge for the main event title again. We're underway. Vince makes his way out to the commentary on crutches, staring back at his bloody face on the set for the last week's Raw in disgust. At least he's upgraded from a wheelchair. <laughs> for the first time since I think WrestleMania 14, we get the dun 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 beat before their respective entrances, the ultimate sign of a big fight feel. For my end, it certainly delivered. As is becoming the norm of Austin, we don't start in the ring as the two begin brawling on the aisleway. Like the last match, they brawled around ringside and in the crowd for a bit. The pair have great logic with Austin constantly covering up the bandage on his face and how Undertaker just keeps punching Austin and trying to rip open the stitches. After all, that bandage is a lot more obvious than Taker's is. Taker even throws the ring steps at Austin, which barely miss. Vince, as always, is amazing on commentary, acting as a cheerleader for The Undertaker, pleading in his patent, his patent maniacal voice before falling silent when Austin takes control. When Austin does take control, he works over the leg of Undertaker. I guess the going for Taker won't be able to stand so Austin can have his way with him, but it doesn't really fit the frantic nature of the earlier psychology. Better stuff now as Taker wildly swings with two chair shots before being caught with a drop toe hold into the base of the ring steps. Austin then chokes Taker with some loose wires and hits him with a fan off the announce table. They head back into the ring, and in a rather convoluted way, Undertaker trips over Earl Hebner and ends up tied up in the ropes a la Andre the Giant. It doesn't matter how they got there because the reaction of the crowd tells you it was worth it. Austin gleefully grabs a steel chair and begins to wind up the home run. Shane McMahon dashes into the ring and sacrifices himself as he is smashed in the head with that chair shot. Bloody awful. Taker is freed by Hebner and hits Austin with a low bro before loosening the turnbuckle pad. A stunner from Austin convinces Vince it's time to act as he desperately tries to get involved with his busted up pelvis. Austin disposes of him quickly and grabs another chair, but Taker counters with a gut and a back shot with his own. In a fit of rage, Taker throws Hebner into the corner for Ark, because we always need one ref bump per show. Before he can strike a killer blow on Austin, X-Pac of all people runs in and spinning heel kicks the chair right back into Undertaker's face as the crowd explodes once again. Austin commandeers a TV camera and smashes Undertaker over the head. Smatterings of the crowd begin to cheer as they can see the Undertaker is busted wide open.
My God, it's chaotic. That's it. The Undertaker bleeding. Oh, my God. Vince. The Undertaker's bleeding. The Undertaker's bleeding. Vince, the Undertaker's bleeding. Austin and the Undertaker standing toe to toe. But the Undertaker is bleeding. The referee is, is groggy. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. Speak it down. Taker attempts a tombstone pile driver, but as he turns around, the now upright Earl Hebner can see blood seeping down the forehead of the dead man. Look at him! Look at him! Ring the damn bell, screams JR, and the match is over. Vince is on the verge of tears as he realises he is banished from the WWF forever. He somehow manages to get into the ring, but he immediately gets hit with a stunner. The end of an era has come, and Vince McMahon is banished from the WWF forever. We got some generic WWF banner, you know, shenanigans afterwards with Triple H, The Rock, Undertaker all getting involved. So somehow Austin being also being busted wide open, and he gets a final stunner on Vince McMahon to close out the show. Rory, what did you make of that uh, end of an era encounter? And Vince McMahon is gone forever. Where's that tumbleweed music? Ah, uh, tumbleweed sound. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> bridge by you sell etc um this match was really rather good wasn't it on the undertaker austin level of really good matches this was a really good match because they were actually trying to make each other bleed i said it earlier i hate first blood matches no there are past sell by date thing from the territory days in my opinion now as you see it so often, we're conditioned to think that when somebody bleeds in the match, that's when the match is being taken into the higher gear. It's not when it should end. And I'm normally completely opposed to them on that particular rule. However, here, because it's so much in the build been about making each other bleed, that they had both done it in the build-up to the match on the pay-per-view, that they were both sporting very recent and fresh cuts, that you got the sense that you really could start bleeding at any time. And that is what the two of them were trying to do. They weren't just having like Austin Kane last year, effectively a regular match just with the first blood stipulation tacked on. I really felt that these were what the two competitors were trying to do to each other. And then you have Vince on commentary, making sure that Undertaker does do that. That's it. On the cut, on the cut, on the cut. No, not his legs, the cut, damn it. <laughs> As only Vince McMahon can on commentary. Should add that Vince was legitimately injured, by the way. You know, the, he really did suffer a shattered pelvis in a motorcycle accident in the start of the month, and yet he's still here getting physical. That man is, oh my word, talk about more guts than brains. That applies to the owner of the company. My God, he's taking fucking stunners and what have you. The drama at the end with all the shenanigans, everybody running in, which we expect it. Again, it's a real mileage may vary thing. You know it's coming. Do you like it? Do you not? A lot of the time, I get pissed off with it. I didn't hear because the stakes felt high. People getting involved because this was an important match and the outcome mattered to them even before you get to the competitors. It just felt vital, this one. It felt like an A-grade pay-per-view main event. It was helped by the crowd who had been fairly quiet as we've alluded to throughout the show they were saving themselves for this one they were molten for everything and 
the ripples that spread throughout the crowd when they first saw the Undertaker was bleeding after the camera shot. Then he turns around and a few more people see it. Then it just becomes a wave, a tidal wave, a tsunami of crowds begging Earl Hebner to get up. Now, that's the sort of emotion when you're living it in pro wrestling. And I loved it. Absolutely thought it was um, a perfect ending to a match, which if we're going to be cynical, and let's face it, that's our job here, was probably given this stipulation so Undertaker didn't have to take another pinfall loss to Austin. I'm sure we could all probably agree with that one. And he's not listening. He won't be listening. I well, <laughs> I think I wound him up last month. Yeah, maybe he is listening. Anyway, moving swiftly on. All the stuff at the end, as you call it, the usual WWF shenanigans. It was there. It was fine. Everybody got that cathartic moment of Vince being sent away forever. <coughs> Gafford, chop, cop. <coughs> and this was WWF sit back and watch the explosions main event stuff at its very, very, very best. Adam. Uh, I I quite enjoyed this match. Yeah, it was a great brawl between the two. Um, in fact, so much so, in fact, I have one of my notes is about halfway through, maybe slightly towards the end, uh, Austin goes for a stunner. I think that's the first time they try, attempt to use a, a wrestling hold in, in this whole match. And in fact, I think the only wrestling, well, Straight up is uh, is the stunners dished out in this match. Uh, I don't have the issue with first blood matches that Rory does. I can understand why he. I can understand his point of view as to why they're relics, but built up properly, I think they do work. This one I think was built up really well. Um, it. My issue with uh, first blood matches in the Fed is they can't seem to end cleanly. Just see the one from King of the Ring last year, um, which had a very very similar similar finish in the fact you have another another guy running in and using a chair to to bust open one of the guys in the match. Um, it weirdly last year it was Undertaker running in. Uh, to do it to Austin when he was facing Kane. This year it was Kane's tag team partner, Xbox, coming through to do it to Undertaker while he was facing Austin. It's it, it's almost as if they planned it that well. But given the writing of the rest of the show, I've I think it's just an amazing coincidence. Uh, it seems odd that they do this match straight after a false count anyway match, given that both both matches started with a long period of. The brawling in the crowd, it just seemed odd to do those two things together, but then again, I'm looking at, at the card, I'm not sh- sure if there was another place they could really put the Rock versus Triple H match, although the Fed do have this unusual habit of um, doing the traditional British-style show where they have a major event just before where the interval would be, uh, see WrestleMania 8 for that example. Um, or in fact, a lot of mid mid nineties WWF pay per views where they have two major matches. Um, as for the as for the implications of the match, I think having Vince take some time off TV is good. I think the Austin McMahon thing has reached a point where it's kind of plateaued. 
I think that was perfectly exemplified where with the higher power stuff where it's a case of we don't know what to do so we'll make Vince the villain again and I'm glad that didn't go on any longer than it than it had to so I'm I'm kind of glad Vince is is stepping away I would love to see him step away maybe even for the rest of the year uh bring him back yeah in in December you know just for the build up to mania I think that would be great you know but he's gone forever he's coming I, no <laughs> one believes that no one. <laughs> I mean when Terry Funk said he was gone forever in 1980, whenever it was, he believed it at the time. But the next 17 times he said it, no. <laughs> but no, I think it'll be. I think it's great just to freshen up the McMahon character. Hopefully they'll find something else for Austin to do in in that time. Maybe Triple H will step up um, and be that heel that can tide over for for at least the next couple of months till maybe they find someone else um yeah i so th- this is a good i mean cause, i mean it's obviously not going to be the end of vince because it's only a secondary pay-per-view it's not one of the the i'll be generous and say big five because next <clears throat> next year's king of the ring might be better because it can't be any worse but if Vince really was going to go out, you really you you think it would be on a B pay per view as opposed to a WrestleMania? But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to to where they go from here. Um, hopefully, they can build up Undertaker a, a bit stronger because, as I as I've mentioned a couple of times, he's become one of the guys, and that's not where he should be. They need to send him back to killing mid-carders for a few months. Remind people of why he was where he was this time last year. And the answer is because he was he was your attraction. He killed he killed some of the mid-carders and until he came across someone who looked like he could challenge and then he beat them anyway. Well, we're going to get Kane X Park probably going into SummerSlam, so we'll probably see Undertaker um, get some heat back from that one, Adam. So you might just on this match in total. Um, I I love this. I've got to be honest with you. Um, it is probably if you took all the emotion out of it and took it all kind of like um, bell to bell, I would say this match is not as good as some of the. The matches Austin had last year with Foley or The Rock even at Backlash, but in terms of everything that kind of took the Austin versus Man feud from WrestleMania to to now, I think this is like almost the perfect way to send everything off. Just bells and whistles everywhere, heated segment after heated segment, heated portion of the match after each portion of the match, which is so frenetic and so like real just felt like these guys were just wanted to win this match as quickly as possible and they weren't just going through bits and bobs here and there to to fill time they wanted to win this match as quickly as possible and grab whatever they could to win and that's something that was that's definitely missing from undertaker brawls in particular and something that austin really brings to a table again adding more glowing things to say about steve austin here but he just he just 
but just this simple thing of like all of his matches seem to start on the aisleways like because you know that's not waste time going to each four corners and saluting that's let's get down to it let's win this match quickly and that's something that really works um normally i'd have problems with x park running in and being involved in this main event i somehow didn't in this match it felt like undertaker being involved with him for like two thirds of this raw of raw tapings paid off here because x park has been having hell for the for that time and he's gonna go and get involved in this match and it worked for some reason even though normally i'll be moaning that you know it should be austin versus mcmahon and undertaker why we're we getting some random mid card involved um it worked again like there's so much of this match i in, just loved seeing and enjoyed so much that for me all the technical things that were wrong with it just came out the window and it's one of those instances where sports entertainment wins out over logical wrestling um and that's what the zeitgeist wants in a minute they don't want 80s brawling where it all makes sense they just want bells and whistles car crash tv in a wrestling ring and that's what we got in this match i loved it I loved every single minute of it um rory we've mentioned it about how it's all enjoyable stuff now um what did you think of this show as a whole and a score rating out of 10 please it was both enjoyable and immensely satisfying i don't think for a b-level pay-per-view you can really ask for a whole lot more from the federation these days if you get a good opener a hot semi-main event and a main event which just light the touch paper and watch it go strap yourself in for 25 minutes if you get those if you have two of those three things on a b-level pay-per-view on almost any any pay-per-view really if you get two of those three things then you've really really done well i think everything the federation really put their heart into came out the way they really wanted it to anything they really sat down and thought about and dedicated portions of their time to that's where the results were really reaped and there were three particular occasions i think i've mentioned them so i'm going to go for a very very solid seven out of ten for this show and if you are a fan of what the wwf give you at their best and if you're listening to this show you probably are then you could do a whole whole lot worse seven out of ten adam your thoughts on this show and a score basically out of ten yeah, um, I quite enjoyed the show. I, there's a couple of small bits I could have just missed out completely, but the fact that the but the stuff that was surrounding them sort of made made them sort of tolerable. There was nothing really really stand out, other than maybe the finish to the main event. That was more just because that was kind of the fight events. Uh, but yeah, in ring wise, everything was solid, with the exception of the bad stuff, which was just eh. Which is still an improvement on some of the pay per views that uh, we've I've watched for this project. Um, yeah, it, it all came together. It's an enjoyable show. It's, it's nothing particularly amazing. I'll give it a I'll give it a six. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm with Rory on a seven, I think. As Adam said, if you watch this, you know, on a tape, you know, two years down the line, probably it's not going to hold up as well. But with context, um, everything that's gone before this show and right where we are now with, with the product the way it is, I just feel that this is peak, you know, car crash WWF that we've had for the last year or so. You know, 
the start, the brawling, the the story, the mid card storylines being on fire in general, and Austin just being the the best big top guy that the that we've had in the 90s. It's just it just works. Everything about the show works so well. Obviously, I can't go any higher than seven because ultimately the actual wrestling isn't there, and there's some stuff, i.e., Kane, Big Show, which is just generally not very good, and so, so you can't really you know go any higher than seven but seven for me is is something where you really just really enjoyed watching three hours of really entertaining wrestling not necessarily good again but as turning your brain off popcorn style films are these days you know i like independence day this is just really enjoyable fun to watch really good stuff from the wwf here Final Raw of the month sees Undertaker beating the holy hell out of X-Pac for costing him the title at Fully Loaded. As they head to the ring, Kane is out to save his friend before Big Show slumbers his way to the ring. Oh yay. The dragged out beatdown continues for a little bit too long for my liking as, as Taker and Show shake hands to form their alliance. Well, certainly a great put on the Hardcore Holly for the Big Show. Kane then carries X-Pac to the back before letting out a quite a haunting scream behind his mask. Edge and Christian face the Acolytes for the tag titles with a Hardcore Holly as special guest referee. Because that worked so well last night, let's do it again. As expected, the Acolytes stiff the rookies before Gangrel arrives to save Christian after a Bradshaw fallaway slam. Edge is then left all alone to take a double powerbomb for the loss. The Acolytes bring a smile to my face by giving Holly a double spinebuster after that dumbass declared himself the winner. Kane is back out though and choke slams everyone in sight. He gets his voice box out and says, You hurt me, you hurt Sean, I'm gonna hurt you. When Kane speaks, you know shit just got real. We then see Ken Shamrock being attended to by EMTs after he was run over by Steve Blackman in a Jeep. Yes, we have now just given someone being hit by a car only a few seconds of TV time. Out comes Vince McMahon for his big formal farewell address. He wants to be remembered as a handsome entrepreneur who had a lasting impact on our lives. This brings out Austin, which was just a matter of time to be honest. Vince says they seem to be far apart, but in reality they're very much alike, and no matter what happens, Vince will always consider himself to be the better man. He even offers his hand, but Austin says that's not happening after the last two years. Austin then invites JR to come to the ring to give Vince a serenade out the door. Na 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 na, oh hell yeah, goodbye. The crowd join in and voraciously beat the living hell out of Vince McMahon as he leaves the door, but not before flipping Austin off on the way out. Post-commercial break, Howard Finkel comes up to Vince and starts crying as he thanks him for all he's done. In response, Vince just says, get the hell away from me. The final words of Vince McMahon on television, cough, cough. Valvinus and Godfather defeat Draws and Prince Albert in a street fight, for some reason. A hoe train and a money shot down Albert as supply and demand pick up the win. Rock is backstage to talk smack about corporate DX and Billy Gunn in particular. But more importantly, we get more t-shirts to the face of Michael Cole. This is once again absolutely brilliant and I could honestly watch these promos every week and not get bored. Triple H is next for a promo. He says he doesn't care what Austin says about him. He knows man to man he can beat the Rattlesnake and at SummerSlam Austin will learn that Triple H is the game. The Rock has heard enough from the pair and walks to the ring, but is jumped from behind by Billy Gunn, who hits a low blow. 
Rock challenges Gunn and China to a handicap match later tonight. We've got another handicap match up no first as Kane takes on the newly formed Big Show and Undertaker Alliance. The Big Red Machine puts up a good fight, but is ultimately overwhelmed by a chair-wielding Taker, who once again unleashes a drawn-out beatdown on his brother. Another countdown to the Millennium Clock is shown, and by JR's calculations, it will arrive in two weeks' time. Jeff Jarrett is out to call Ben Stiller of all people to the ring next. Ben is happy to see Deborah, of course, and begins to plug his new film. Jeff asks Stiller who his favourite wrestler is. Well, Jeff, that is easy. There are two of them, actually. It's the bloody puppies. Oh, God's sake, I've never had to do that word again. Jarrett rightfully puts the boost to Silla in response and then locks on a figure four leg lock before Dilo Brown makes the save. The lesser spotted women's champion Ivory is out next for a chat. Everyone is wondering where Nicole Bass is, not really, but she isn't good enough to stand in the same ring as her. Ivory issues an open challenge to anyone in the crowd to have a pop at her title. In comes a random plant who is knocked over by Ivory before Tori runs out to presumably set up our women's program for the next couple of weeks. Triple H vs Ken Shamrock is next, but Shamrock is banged up from his internal injuries gimmick. Triple H constantly targets the ribs as Shamrock begins bleeding from the mouth. A body scissors forces the referee to stop the match. And we then see the test beatdown of Pete Gas we spoke about in the main show. It's main event time as Billy Gunn and China take on The Rock. Triple H is out on commentary explaining in detail how much he has studied Austin and that he will be the WWF champion after SummerSlam. He's also acting like a douche by toying with JR. As Austin and uh, sorry, as, as Rock and Billy Gunn land on the outside, Triple H is there to get a cheap shot in, which launches JR into a tirade. The cameramen are far more interested in Triple H and JR going at it than the match itself, which is just as well because Billy Gunn is in there. Triple H then punches JR to a big reaction from the crowd, and that's Austin's cue to run down and brawl with Helmsley. There's still a match going on, by the way, as Rock hits the rock bottom and the people's elbow which I presume was the finish because we went off the air before the pin was made. Jim Ross, get your ass up here. I what? got something to tell you. What? I don't know what he wants. Come on, son, I ain't got all day. <laughs> Jim Ross? Yeah, I just come on. Oh, oh, I hope Austin stuns him. Give him a stunner. Stunner. I know the son bitch has fired you a couple of times. You probably feel the same way about him as I do, and I ain't much of singing, so I want you to sing a little song for Vince McMahon. Sing a song? It's not Vince's birthday, no, was no, it? No, hell yeah. I ain't gonna sing it. No, no, no. No, no, no. Hell yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Stone Cold is suggesting that we sing goodbye to Mr. McMahon here tonight. Oh, no, wait a minute. Not, not that song. With a little, no, 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 no. Oh, hell yeah. Goodbye. No, 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 no. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Oh, hell yeah. Good. I can't believe this. 
there's Vince McMahon. He, he, he invented all these people. He made everybody here, and now he's being forced out. He's the inventor of sports entertainment. And with the final TV taping of the month done, um, we'll quickly chinwag and have a little bit of retrospective glee over Austin versus McMahon that has officially come to an end by all the counts with uh, the na 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 oh hell yeah goodbye rendition by JR sending Vincent Mann off into the sunset. Rory, um, we waxed lyrical about Austin versus McMahon in December last year. Now we've had almost seven months of extra stuff coming onto it. What do you think we'll look back on Vince versus Austin as now that it's officially uh, come to an end? I think we'll look back on it as the one feud in certainly modern pro wrestling and certainly possibly the one good guy, bad guy feud in any form of entertainment, really, which everybody watching it can relate to 100%. Wherever your, whatever your position, whatever your role, whatever your stance, it doesn't really matter. You have lived this feud yourself. You have been Steve Austin, okay, and you know who Vince McMahon is, okay. And wouldn't you just love, just once, just once, to get to do to your boss what Steve Austin does on a weekly basis and has done for a year and a half. That's what anybody, and I know so many casual fans, that they very rarely watch wrestling. They'll just randomly throw on Raw on a Monday night and they'll see Austin hit McMahon with a stunner, douse him in beer and toast everybody after and say, yep, I did that for you. And they'll think, yep, that guy did it for me. And then won't watch wrestling again for months. They'll turn it on again and they'll see it again. And whether you are a casual or whether you're a hardcore like us, there's no way you can get bored of it. Or is there? Or is there? On the end of year award show for 1998, I actually listened back to it a couple of days ago. And I said on there that I never want this view to end, <laughs> that I'll be happy for it to carry on going forever and ever and ever. Slightly tongue in cheek, but only slightly. Then we got to our February 99 show where we actually had the Austin McMahon match. And I said on there, they might want to think about wrapping this up at WrestleMania. And it looked as though they they were with Vince then afterwards, getting involved with The Undertaker, the Stephanie stuff, inching babyface, that sort of thing. Then, of course, we had the higher power at the beginning of last month. So if you've missed our show there, go back to that one to see our exact thoughts on that. And then we had this eight-week redux of it. Again, very little bad in these particular eight weeks because these two 
chemistry doesn't come close to describe how good they are on screen. But, but there's nowhere else to go with it now. It's that situation where I'm not bored of it. I don't think that even if you did carry on next month, that there would really be diminishing returns. But I don't want them to take the chance. Some of the greatest feuds over the last 20 years. Uh, Zabisco versus Samatino, Bon Eriks versus the Freebirds, Flair versus Dusty. Maybe it's because I'm of a slightly younger vintage, but uh, I would take this one over any of those and perhaps any other feud, really. I'm sure most of our listener base would probably agree, but I'm happy now to keep it that way and put it in the lockbox. I don't think we need to see it again. Maybe 10 years from now in some sort of retrospective show, Austin will hit Vince with a stunner for shits and giggles. And do you remember that talk? But do you remember the good old days of 98, 99? But they've got to end it now. For the 18 months we did get, I don't think anything is going to come close to that again because it's a feud everybody from 9 to 90 understands. Adam, any further things to add there? Uh, no, I've, I think the Austin-Vince feud has uh, played out. And I, while I don't want them never to reference it again, I could, I could do with them taking the focus away from it and maybe focusing on having an actual uh, wrestler to be Austin's next main nemesis. Uh, they they tried with The Undertaker, but I don't think that's going to be remembered as as epically as they hope it would. But as as a feud, it's certainly it's been entertaining. It was certainly unique because it was wrestler versus non wrestler. It's not been done to that extent ever, as from what I can from what I can remember. I mean, even when wrestlers feuded with managers and the managers would th- sort of throw guys at them, it, it never, it still didn't resonate quite as well as, as Vince versus Austin just because it was that every man thing that, you know, every just sort of common working man could, uh, could empathize, could understand. Uh, so yeah, I, it's a, it's, sad to see it end but it had to end and it ended really well and yeah it hopefully it hopefully it will never completely go away but it's it's certainly left a good strong legacy easily the feud of the 90s probably the most important for financial reasons mm-hmm. with the wwf be absolutely trouncing WCW right now if Austin McMahon wasn't this good? Probably not. Would Austin be as over as he is right now if Vince McMahon wasn't his perfect foil? Probably not. Was 1999's portion of this feud as good as 1998? Probably not either because of the the issue of just Vincent Mann just not being able to, to go in the ring to be the foil to Austin as well when the bell rings. But we've had this year alone Vincent Mann having a beer having a beer party and winning the Royal Rumble and then busted open wide open in a cage match after taking a fall from the top of a cage we've had 
Austin spraying Vincent Mann with beer in a giant beer truck when he when he crashed through the entranceway. It's certainly not been as uh, you know in any normal year this would still be few of the year, but it's got to have reached the heights of 1998, which is unfortunate because 1998 was just so amazing as well. Do we need to break from it? Absolutely. I think we were getting just a little bit sick of it, but you know good on the WWF for knowing that too much of a good thing is sometimes bad for you like ice cream put it back in the cupboard put it back in the freezer for a little time and revisit it when uh, when they need to but thank you WWF for giving us one of the most entertaining feuds that we will ever see and arguably have ever seen on a wrestling program yeah and that will do it for July 1999. Um, it's been emotional. It's the end of an era. It's the end of Austin versus McMahon. Will we ever see anything like it again? Probably not. But again, Roy and Adam, thank you very much for joining me this evening on uh, this slightly delayed recording. Um, anything to plug, Adam, on uh, anything related to the wrestling or anything ever that you want to, to give some props to? Uh well, obviously, you've got the traditional uh, Twitter handles. You can catch me on Twitter, EL underscore J. I'm not, not as active as as I could be, but I still post some out there stuff. If you're into hardcore leftist political memes, I'm uh, I'm on the Minds.com website, Minds.com forward slash ELJ.comedy, I think. Um, again, I don't post as much as I could do on there. Uh, the one I use most is my Facebook page, el.j.comedy. It's got all my com- comedy dates coming up. Um, I am in Larkfield and Kent coming up soon. I'm, if anyone is in Norwich, uh, I could do with some support on the bank holiday. I'm going to be doing a gong show up there. Um, I'm also in Stoke Newington, uh, down in Hailsham, and I've got another competition coming up in islington on the 1st of october so yeah all the details of that can be found on my facebook page uh also as we were doing this podcast uh the most recent episode of mind fart drops episode number 99 which features me doing one of my angry liberal pieces about american gun control and how i don't think guns are the complete problem um i i sometimes i link to these on on the uh, 20 YRS Facebook, but only if they attain to wrestling, this one doesn't. Um, so yeah, uh, so yeah, episode 99, episode 100, I'm planning on doing an interesting one, but it will we'll have to wait and see whether that one comes out as well as possible. I think that's all I have to plug for the minute. Rory, uh, thanks again for stepping in um, on this late recording. Uh, do you want to just give a shout out to the plans for the wrestling 20 years ago podcast in the next uh, two months or so because we've got a couple of busy things planned haven't we i will indeed first off thank you very much for your make ball making today your presenting debut dan you did a sterling job not that i was ever going to be in doubt at all oh thank take, you so much thank you so much cheers and another one i'll take another bow while you're at it yes yeah, so wrestling 20 years ago you can find us on twitter and the facebooks um you know all that of course uh, we're on all your usual podcatcher apps 
Uh, Wrestling20years.com is also a place if you want links to every single show we've done. You can download them or stream them going all the way back to August of 1993. Uh, Next month, or probably this month, as you come to hear them, August 2019, uh, we'll be celebrating our sixth anniversary, six years we've been doing this, uh, in addition to our normal shows, which will be, of course, WWF, WCW and ECW. Planning on dropping at least one special out of timeline show there. More details as we get them. I say keep it locked to social media and we'll tell you first. And also, when we find out ourselves the complete details of this one, which will hopefully be during our next month's edition of shows, uh, we should be doing some crossover work with the folks at Place to Be Nation as they're doing their top 100 uh, GWWE televised matches of all time, in which you can submit your vote, your top 100 greatest WWE matches ever, going all the way back to 1961, is the oldest match nominated. And we will be getting involved with that on Wrestling 20 years ago. Uh, Myself and some of the other staff members, Dan very much included, will be presenting some special shows, hopefully on the Place to Be Nation platform, where we are looking at some of those matches, reviewing them completely out of timeline, of course, which also brings me on to our Patreon, where if you also want to hear some special shows for just $5 a month, you can find us on there. You'll hear out-of-timeline specials each and every month, watch-alongs, reviews, all sorts of things. Everything is fair game there. Just to say thank you for the life-enriching content we bring you for seven to eight hours every single month. All of it is very much appreciated. But if you're happy with just the free shows, and these shows will always be free, then we're just happy that you're listening. Again, to echo Rory. Thank you so much for listening to these free shows. Uh, again, apologies for the delay in getting the WWF uh, edition to you for July, but we will back on schedule for August for SummerSlam in particular, 1999, Jesse the Body Ventura. Interesting times ahead to discuss there. Uh, again, thank you so much for listening. We're always grateful for listeners. If you could leave, as always, a, a very nice, kind review on iTunes, if it's still there. Don't know if it's still going on now that iTunes is being deleted. Um Thank you so much again. Uh, We'll be back next month, as always. Um, Until next time, goodbye. Boom. Brilliant, guys. That was a top-notch show. Um, I'll hopefully get this one out in the next couple of days. I'll look to edit it over tomorrow and hopefully get it out on Tuesday. Uh, Dan, just quickly, would you be able to send me, over the next couple of days, um, the uh, the fourth edition of Raw? Have you got... Audio yeah, I've one. got all the notes there. I'm going to send it over to you tomorrow. Real, real uh, I'll, 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 yeah. I'll send you three and four um, again, because I think I've got a couple of lines in the script which we didn't cover in the actual show. So I'm going to just quickly tweak that. and then. No, uh, OK. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah um, pop that one in there. Yeah, OK, cool. Yeah, I'll um, put this together. I'll drop in the audio as well. Um, yeah, just looking at the time now, 2.52.40. I'll probably come out at about three hours with everything I'll play in, but that's, uh, that's fine. Okay, guys. So, yeah, just uh, just stay tuned. From uh, I'll have you both on again very very soon. Great great job, guys. Enjoyed it as always. Nice work, guys. Cheers. See you later. Bye. Bye. Now on to badass Billy Gunn. The Rock understands what took place. The night you won King of the Ring, you got down on your knees, put your little hands together, and you said a prayer, and it sounded like this. Oh, dear God. You see, my name's Billy, and I just won King of the Ring, but there's one problem. 
Everybody still thinks that I absolutely suck. And then at that point, Billy, your house started to shake, the heavens opened up, and God himself spoke to you and said this, Bob, but my name's Billy. It doesn't matter what your name is. You are absolutely right. You do suck. But there is one thing and one thing only you can do. You must go find the man who is simply electrifying. You must go find the rock. Oh, but God, anybody but the rock. Know your role and shut your mouth. And then, Billy, as fear went through your body, tears went down your cheek, and piss rolled down your leg. Your house started to shake again, the clouds parted, the heavens opened, and what seemed like millions of voices all said to you in unison, Jabroni, if you smell! is cooking.